The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning. Welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad we can be up and with you this morning. I can never get ready. You know, just... Yeah. Uh, it's too hard. I don't care what time I get up on a Saturday morning when I, I just can't get it together. Well, it's like I can get here at 5.53 and then you're like 5.53, 5.56, you know, it's not like... Careful, Vita. <laughs> it's not like... 550 for me it's always 553 how can i do that so good that's good you know <laughs> i guess that's the perfect you got routine. it down pat but good morning to you miss vader and good morning you are miss vader with uh, palladio gardens right there on central avenue near kenneth mabry right there at, at dan, dan west, west yeah right on there on poplar, poplar avenue <laughs> yes. oh i'm on you're on central, central. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah i was like wait where am i all right, so what about this week? It went by so fast. It really did, because we were all getting our shrubs in. Yeah, we're getting stuff in, mm-hmm. getting ready for fall. Yeah. I wanna, like I said, I want to hear you say it's fall, y'all, it's, but not yet. It's it's oh. fall, y'all. I mean, you know, just because it's warm still in the Mid-South, we're, well, no, September 21st, the first day of fall. Okay, I'm going to go with it? that, yeah. Yeah, so how long do we have? Uh not long. I can't count backwards. Nineteen days till fall. Nineteen twenty. But even walking out <laughs> in the even walking out in the mornings, mm-hmm. it's still not horrible. No, you can feel yeah. that. You can just almost. feel it coming. You yeah, know. Yeah, that almost. And then the biggest thing for people is, you know, how long do we wait? Before, no, I think we're just ready. Before we know? start yanking all that spring and summer stuff up. Oh, I think I'm gonna have to wait a little longer. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. But some bedding plants that we planted in the spring look absolutely wonderful yeah i mean they're really beautiful Just right bam, now Bam, you know and there are a few like at my place in the front mm-hmm. yard especially that faces west that look not good at Those all sun patients on the end yeah so, yeah <laughs> you know i'm ready to, to go ahead and get that i mean mm-hmm. i would do it today Agreed, honestly if yeah. i had the time I'm, I'm ready to just go ahead and get that stuff up and just start fresh yeah. you know i really am right and then the stuff in the back veda that's Looks great. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. let it be, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not in a really big hurry to yank that stuff up. Well, because you know, anyway, you don't like re- redo your whole yard at one time. So you know, work sections, and that way you can still keep your really pretty color out and looking good. Like my hibiscus is still blooming; it looks wonderful. Oh, and let me tell you, <laughs> all right. So you know, early spring we get bulbs in, like the uh, caladiums and the um, all kinds of other dahlias. What's some others we get in? Oh, in the spring, yeah, the, the cannas, the dahlias, yeah, the, the the gladiolas. I the, can't even think. The caladiums, oh, the tuberous be- begonias. Yeah, begonias. Okay, so we had the tuberous begonias in the box, of course. And as time progressed, it it tried to grow in the box. So when I took it out, it was like three pencils, but real rubbery, and they mm. were white. The corms were, or the tubers were, mm-hmm. but they were just long white green beans looking mm-hmm. like so i was like oh just i stuffed them down in the dirt and it looked like three fingers mm-hmm. hanging over the side of the pot and all that and i forgot about it and i came out and looked i mean i think it's been a month six weeks well they're not gorgeous but they actually started growing 
so on these the tips were, of those. These were some that were left over yeah, from spring. Right. And you I'm, figured instead of me throwing this thing in the compost pile, yeah. let me just put them in some dirt and see what happens. Yeah, so they they were rooted, they're working, and I'm sure if our weather was warm enough in the winter, then they would go ahead and establish and come out beautifully. But I don't think I'm going to be able to lift these out and transplant them and like grow them in the yard. Well, but it just shows how much plants want to grow. Yeah, but I like the idea that you at least put them in some soil yeah. and see what happens. You well, know? I was like, okay, this is an experiment now. Yeah. And, and so they, they came alive and worked, but are they ever going to really reach its potential since they got so stifled in well, the Well, and you can't consider those a perennial, so you can't yeah. count on those to come back. And they don't do well inside, so that's no. probably just not going to work. But, you know, just like you were saying uh, before we came on the air, Veda, you know, garden centers uh, are starting to get stuff in now in preparation mm-hmm. for fall. And whether it's new shrubs, new trees, you know, herbs are coming mm-hmm. in. Uh, we've been, you know, annual colors coming mm-hmm. in. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's it's like it's a, thank goodness we have seasons mm-hmm. around here. Yeah, that's what I think, too. You I know, agree. honestly. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's a whole new chapter yeah. uh, that we're going to step into and also some cooler weather. You yeah, know? yeah, it makes it so exciting. I receive perennials that are like, blooming yeah. and the colors are awesome yeah and i can't stand how gorgeous it is <laughs> i just can't hardly deal with it it's so beautiful if you follow uh Pilate on instagram you'll uh see what we get in mm-hmm. and i know y'all i yeah, see what y'all get in, in, in yesterday yeah. i i go should i like this because it'll be another garden center like in another garden center <laughs> i'm like 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 because it doesn't matter. We're garden centers. We're all independent garden centers, and we all have the same struggles. And each person has different types of inventory, as well as some of the same. But um, the concept is all the same. Yeah, Spada. yeah, and it's fun too when y'all go to independent garden centers because we're more into hanging out with customers and talking about actually what's going on in your yard and, you know, caring about it yeah. because there are some places you go to and the people are nice and help, but they're, that's not their passion. That's not their thing. So you can't get in that a little conversation. Well, and, and then people ask, you know, can I go ahead and start planning? And the answer is depending on what you're talking about. And the, the short answer is absolutely yes. Uh, whether it's trees, whether it's shrubs, whether it's herbs, whether it's um, perennials. perennials, yeah, and, and even um, you know had a customer in the other day, uh, um, him and his wife, and they were going to have a function at their house, mm-hmm. and they'd only been in the house for about three months, yeah. uh, so they were buying you know mums and mm-hmm. ornamental cabbage and even pansies to some extent, and I explained to him. You know, everything's going to be great. Yeah. In fact, the moms, not they're just budded. They're not even right, blooming. Right. But they said they go put them in these containers. They said, well, it looks like an evergreen. Right. I said, yeah. Yeah, so it doesn't matter. You know, right, exactly. Right. So, But then as far as the annual color, you know, the pansies and violas and dianthus and those kind of things, uh, I mean, I'm sure they're going to be fine. But, you know, it's a little early for those. But if mm-hmm. you're having, you know, people coming over to the house or a party or whatever, and you want to spruce up, you know, the front of the uh, door or, or mm-hmm. the pots, Absolutely, yeah, you can. Right. Hopefully that will work out. You know, hopefully our September won't do one of those big jumps where, because, you know, like the pansies start stretching and the cabbage start getting little aphids and all. Mm-hmm. But we can still recover that. When it starts to get that. hot, you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we're, you know, it's going to just cruise on no problem. But hopefully we won't get hot. Or if we do, it's just a day or two, which the plants aren't affected by that. Well, but also, you know, life is good, Veda, because it's football season. You do know yeah. that. Yeah. You know, in fact, I the Tigers play that. tonight. 
Oh, you know, I like it when they play in the day because they're right next to our garden center. It's so exciting to hear all that, but they're playing tonight. I mean, you'll have sometimes the fair going, the Mm -hmm. football games going. I mean, you can't even, you know, stick a pin in Central Avenue. So many people, you know. (laughs) Exactly. But that's like I said, that's that's a lot of fun. Yeah. And so there's a lot of events going on. Um, Sir, have you heard... What kind of fall events are going on in the garden industry right now? I have. I mean, I've just been so busy, like you have, mm-hmm. you know, at work, just, you know, just trying yeah. to get to work, home, home to work, you know? Right, right. So we need Mr. Paul or, or Jamie or Miss Gloria to give us a call and let us know all the great things that are happening around in a... Uh, uh, Mid South. Yeah, and also, you know, last, and we, we'll get into it when we get back from the break. Uh, had a gentleman last week. He was asking about why his figs were so small. Remember, right. and I made a little note and I did mm-hmm. a little re- research, uh, and you're not going to be surprised on what I found. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, we received figs like two weeks ago, mm-hmm. and they can't, they showed up with figs on them. Mm hmm. Just beautiful, and they're they're a pretty good size. And I'm thinking, man, do I pick these off right here? <laughs> but that's going to make it more inspirational to buy your your plant when there's actually figs on it. Yeah, but you, you know. got to just not pull them off and eat figs yeah. just yet. At least, I, well, I know I won't pull them off, but it was the satisfaction of of harvesting fruit. Yeah. I mean, I know I won't eat them. That's what I mean. <laughs> but after, how do you eat figs? I've just seen them mushed up in fig Newton bars. Oh I think that's God. the only way I've ever eaten You pluck a fig. and eat it just like you, you just start uh, eating them. Huh. Oh, yeah. I'll try that, maybe. But anyway, <laughs> when we get back from the break, guys, um, we are going to talk about why this gentleman's figs were, were so small this year. But, uh, Beta, i got to talk to you about later on about some um, some weed barrier that's pretty cool. You know, I, Oh, I wanna, right. It's, it's a weed yeah. barrier that I was like... Okay, now I get it. Okay. Right. Yeah, maybe that works like yeah. that. And an easy way to get some watering done. We'll talk about some boxwoods. We'll talk about some other products like some bat mm-hmm. guanos and so forth. And then, you know, we get into some green seeds, uh, you know, that people are going to start yeah. doing this fall. Right. And right. then I know that you and I have talked about this. You know, the house plant of the week is the Audrey fig. I'm just telling you. The mm-hmm. more You're I look loving at, that one. Oh, the Audrey ficus. Yeah, uh, I am. You I've know, got, maybe because it's, well, we'll talk it about it. It is cool. And I like the natal mahogany. Look mm-hmm. at her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got some bats. Yep, bats. Not batty, but bats. Bats. Well, and you're talking about bat guano. I'm talking about bats. Uh, yeah, where the, bat, where yeah. the guano comes from. Exactly. <laughs> Can you imagine yeah. the things we do to garden? But that's just how it is. It's not weird when you're gardeners. If somebody's not a gardener and you say bat guano, worm castings, cow manure. <laughs> Like this one guy carried the bag. His wife is a gardener, and he carried the bag, and his it was kind of dirty on the outside. And he's got his ha- holding his hands out, going, "Where's your bathroom? I gotta get this off." <laughs> like that's so so cute. All right, we're gonna take a break. Y'all call us two six zero five nine two six or post a question on Facebook Live. Yep. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid South Gardening. Glad you can join, just enjoy us this morning as well. Yeah. <laughs> Give us a call two six zero five nine two six two six zero five nine two six, or shoot us a text on the Mighty Nine Ninety Facebook page. Uh, Jan Childers said, "Good morning, Dirt Buddies." Good so, uh, morning, Jan. Absolutely. Um, Were you ready for the bat guano? No, the figs. <laughs> oh yeah, the figs, the figs. Gentleman called last week and wanted to know why his figs were so small, Veda. And mm-hmm. 
So I started doing a little digging last night, and it says, like I just told you, you're not going to be surprised on what I'm going to tell you, okay? Uh, First of all, the figs have very shallow root systems, which we all knew that, okay? So they're sensitive to stress. Okay, so they've got shallow root systems. On a fig. So so overly hot weather, so I almost fell out of my chair, you know, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Because that's exactly what happened. (laughs) So we've definitely had overly hot weather. Uh, and lack of irrigation. Go figure, right? So, Did we have any of those issues this year? Uh, they result in small <laughs> figs and even fig drop, you know, the fruit yeah. drop. So uh, okay. so figs are kind of like the canary in the coal mine. Okay. They, there they can really, they show a lot of stress um, when it's overly hot, like I said, and mm-hmm. they're not being properly irrigated. So that's the top two. So more than likely, if they were able to add a little more irrigation, there's a possibility. Well... Maybe put some mulch up under the fig tree yeah, to hold the uh, the moisture in. Mm-hmm. Uh, keep it moist, yeah. of course, like we were talking about. Also, the flip side of that is poor drainage. Uh, they mm-hmm. need soil that's really loose and well-drained, okay? Not this heavy, hard clay that we yeah. get sometimes. Uh, good sun exposure, of course, and then feed it. But in particular, they like the potassium, mm-hmm. okay? The last number in, of the three numbers. And whether that's something like murate of potash, whether you can put a holly tone, because mm-hmm. they do like the soil kind of acidic also. Right. So if you've got a fig tree or fig trees that just didn't perform, and like the gentleman that called last week that had small figs, figs dropping off, or no figs, I'm telling you, especially you know when we had this crazy summer that we just mm-hmm. went through, then it was so hot and so dry. It didn't rain at my house for two months. Yeah. You know, and it was 100 <laughs> degrees. Had, it was 100 degrees at 9 o'clock at night. You had the dome over your you know, house. Uh, well, yeah. and, but Veda, most people went through that extremely hot and extremely arid conditions. And when it comes to these figs, like I said, you know, a light layer of mulch up under there. Make sure you keep this thing hydrated. Make sure your potassium levels are up. And make sure they're, uh, A, getting up at least half a day sun, if not more. And they're in well-drained soil. And But I'm just thinking... Okay, we kind of like want that on all of our plants. Yeah, right. You know, honestly. Uh, And so, like, if a holly got the, like, holly's got the dry conditions and all that, they were fine, you know. But the figs, because they need the extra moisture to produce the fruit, that's why they had a hard time. Because, you know, a lot of people gauge everything off of the way your hollies are doing. (laughs) True. True. And you don't see a holly wilt until it's dead basically yeah. no if, if you start seeing a hollywood you've done something really <laughs> wrong something's doing yeah but, but i wonder is it because you know they had those really big leaves on them so you know they're going to lose a lot mm-hmm. of moisture through the course of the day on these hot summer days uh, but you know some plants can take stress better than others and figs are one of those that just can't do it <laughs> i mean it, it really mm-hmm. shows stress if something's wrong so just remember that well-drained soil more sun than shade definitely irrigated Mm -hmm. i mean i mean a lot of irrigation out there and like i was you know also you know putting that light layer of mulch down uh, if you do all of those things i mean you're going to get figs even in temperatures and weather that we had this year which was Mm -hmm. brutal for things out there yeah so so there is hope next year for the figs and you know the figs get hit a lot in this area you know we've got some winters would knock them down to the ground you know hot summers keep them from doing um, as much as they can yeah i think i have heard not every season that they have a huge crop of figs Mm -hmm. and then of course if you're going to have a huge crop of figs 
And the birds and the squirrels oh, yeah. and everything's going to come hang out. And I think that's why we want to have as many as possible so we can share. And and then, you know, there are some figs that have bigger fruit than others, like the mm-hmm. brown turkey, for example. That's going to have a large fruit on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's some that actually do have smaller fruit. Uh, so keep that in, in mind also. Oh. And then, Veda, some people grow figs as an ornamental tree. They don't yes. care if it ever gets a fig right. on it. The leaves are so great. It could almost be a tropical look if you mm-hmm. were going for the tropical. And the new ones that have come out, the Gerneri and the Little Miss Figgy. <laughs> Which I love that name. Yeah, I do too. Containers. They're going to do yeah. great in containers because I know a lot of you are thinking, well, no no figs for me because the trees are huge. But these are, are smaller trees. We're using them in some zero lot line areas. Um, so you can put it in a container. This one, this we don't do the landscaping and all at Palladio, but we ended up with uh, a client that I just couldn't say no to because I mm-hmm. met them through their daughter, which was like, Y'all don't do landscaping, but y'all do install fountains. Fountains, yeah, yeah, and do the uh, maintenance on them and all of that. Mercy, that's another story. Oh, yeah. But uh, so I've met them through Eden. Eden was the four-year-old, and her interest in the whole garden thing was really just so fun to me. And so what they were doing was redoing their whole landscape in Arbor Town to be more of an interaction garden with uh, their daughters and then their soon-to-be son. So in the interaction garden, we're doing, it's not the typical landscape. We're looking for flowing things and blooming things and um, artistic things like elephant ears and ascanthus and some of the different looking foliage. Putting uh, vegetables, herbs. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got it. So now they're, she's coming in with her pictures because her parents take pictures or she'll want them to send some of the pictures to me. And she is so integrated into that garden uh, with the things that she does and the playing. Because this is front, side, and back. And it's, and, and it's really more for interaction with the kids, yes, you said. Yes, yes, And they're enjoying it so much never heard playing of that. with their kids. It's been, so we looked for textures and frog, how, little frog, little spaces where frogs mm-hmm. can hide. And all the kinds of things for the beneficials. And so now they're telling us about the hummingbirds coming in mm-hmm. and the caterpillars and the earthworms that they find mm-hmm. and all the insects and all the things that she's getting to do with the, the garden. And then their son, which is now maybe 18 months, I promise you he's already in it. <laughs> so it's been He's already such, getting those feet and fingers it dirty. It is. It's such a, a wonderful thing. So anyway, I ended up kind of like a working with them because we were going to do landscaping at Palladio and then all of a sudden we were like no we can't find the proper crew but I'd already gotten into this with her and it was more of a fun little creative thing so that the gardening took on a whole new aspect than just having uh, tall in the back you know medium in the front then because they had that to start in because they moved in. So the bones were already there. These yeah. were just additions for the kids. Well, we took everything out. Started oh. all over um, patios, uh, rock pa- rock pathways, one of the spirals yeah. that you plant herbs and uh, things like that into. So we've done it 
just totally different. No bones, anything. Now we've got evergreens spotted throughout. Wow. But that wasn't their thing, you know, the evergreens. They just want flowing and different. And, and what about, I mean, you know, a so-called like butterfly garden? I mean, yeah. did y'all, was that one of the yeah. areas that y'all concentrated well, on? It was, say, we had butterfly plants integrated throughout the landscape, too, like the butterfly bush over here and then a ways away, some butterfly weed, the parsley for the uh, caterpillars and on down the line. And, and we still have a lot more to do. Uh, but it was we were creating it as we went instead I of wonder, making it design. You know, she said it was for the kids. I wonder if mm. it was for her. Oh, they're you having know? fun. Yeah, they're uh, they're both into it just as much as the and the, the husband. kids are. Yeah, yeah, they're a lot of fun. So now, is there you know with the the soil's a little different down there on oh, the bluff, isn't boy. it? So yeah, we added lots of compost because of the sandy mm-hmm. loam that's already down there. Yeah. that's been there for you know for a million uh, years. Yeah, and it was <laughs> when we took there was a huge deck. Remember Joe Thornson that used to do the sure. uh, fix it up show? He uh, came in, took all the deck out, and it was a hundred percent sand under there. Yeah. But basically, well, you know, there was some dirt and all. So, well, first we actually brought in like a, a harder type of soil, yeah. a topsoil, just to get a base in there. And then we put a lot of compost over that. And then when we're planting, we're using the earth mix and the fox farm things. Isn't it amazing how just even here in Shelby County, we got different types of soils. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get close to that river, you're going to have more of a sandy loam. That's amazing. You get out here where you and I are, we're going to have more of a clay base. Yeah. So we're adding things to really improve the drainage. But down there, you're adding things to actually hold a little right. moisture. Yes, yes. And that was another thing. It's like we could try some things that you can't try in other areas because of the great drainage. Like lavenders and so forth yes. that you can try in other areas, but sometimes we fail. Yes. Okay, y'all, just uh, give us a call, 260-5926. Good morning. Welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all could join us this morning. Yep, Vader's up there dancing in a chair again, guys. You know, the music is when it's good. How can you help it? So I had a client come in, a customer come in, and it's the hydrangeas wouldn't bloom thing. So Mm. we went... We went through, so, you know, a whole lot of different scenarios, and I'm going, okay, let me show you the fertilizers and everything you need. And And this was the old-fashioned... Mop heads, yeah. pinks and blues. Right, and And, uh, then I thought, wait, one question I haven't asked. When'd you prune them? Um, I did that one. Okay. How much shade do they have? Mm -hmm. Because we feel, because people call those shade plants... But they still need, gosh, at least four hours, five Mm -hmm. hours of sun to really get a good bloom on them. Preferably morning sun or high shade, filtered sun, you know, mottled sun. Right, all of that, but there's no sun. Yeah. But they haven't been planted that long, and sometimes they think there's no sun, but Mm -hmm. possibly they are. Mm -hmm. I I said, well, you know, maybe transplant them. And she's like, no, they've just planted, and maybe he should not have put them there. Mm -hmm. Like, well, let's let's just do this. So we went the full-fledged. We got the, because she wanted to be blue, so we got the holly tone. Mm Mm-hmm. And the worm castings. Because the more acidic the pl- uh, the soil is, the bluer they're going to be. Yes, yeah. and she wanted blue. And holly tone has got sulfur in it that yeah. acidifies the soil. Right, because hollies need acidity. And, right. You know, you wouldn't think hydrangeas do, but for the color, yeah. So we did the worm castings. 
the holly tone and the big bloom. Mm-hmm. And I said, just do it all at mm-hmm. once. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to, she's going to wait and then do it again next spring. Well, and then hopefully, you know, the reasons, a lot of reasons why the old fashioned mop head hydrangeas aren't blooming is like you said, typically it's three things. One is that they're in just deep, deep shade. And even then, you always get a few little yeah, blooms, but, but not the, the big, you know, flush that mm-hmm. you would like to see. Yeah. Uh, secondly is a lot of people go out there in the late fall, early winter, they see all these sticks sticking out of the ground, and they don't like the way it yes. looks, and they cut them back. Right. Well, most <laughs> of your old-fashioned hydrangeas bloom next year off mm-hmm. of this year's growth. Right. So if you cut them back, you're cutting the blooming yeah. tissue off. And, you know, she said she was just taking out the dead, the dead twigs, and even if you took... Some of the live twigs, it's still okay. You're just, th- it's the tops. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. And then, uh, you know, thirdly is um, uh, you can you can do everything just right, Veda, mm-hmm. and get one of these crazy winters where it's 48 degrees during the day and then 13 that night. You know, those real drop yeah. in temperatures that we get, and it knocks all the blooming mm-hmm. tissue off. You know, three years ago, there wasn't a hydrangea in Memphis that was blooming, yes. the old mop heads, because uh-huh. of that, that sudden drop in temperatures. Those are always sad years. Yeah. So, <laughs> the, yeah, but, I mean, we, a lot of times when you talk to people, especially if they've had hydrangeas in their landscape for quite a while, mm-hmm. and they're just not blooming, there's, it's usually something that we're doing. And sometimes, like I said, it can be more weather-related. Yeah, yeah. That Boy, that's what it is on hydrangeas. And then they get the... Um, Oh, the bacterial oh, spot. Big time right now. Oh, and it's just the way the weather is. Some years we do, some years we don't. Uh, someone was coming in purchasing hydrangeas and all new inventory, and mm-hmm. we've got them spread it apart as mm-hmm. much as we can. Because, you know, when everything comes in, it's a little bit too close mm-hmm. until we get a few bought. Um, but not really any of those spots because we got them in after our type of weather that we had to make them that way but we still have to do some overhead irrigation Mm -hmm. and so there's a few little spots but she was trying to find the absolute perfect one so it wouldn't happen when she put it in her landscape it's like no this is this is just going to be a thing with them i mean there's not a hydrangea in memphis right now that doesn't have spots on the leaves or crinkly leaves showing stress I mean, yeah, they're just isn't crinkly leaves. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's just they look horrible right now. And like you said, Veda, some years are worse than others when you start seeing the black spots mm-hmm. that are on the leaves of your old fashioned hydrangeas. And either that's a bacterial or it's a fungal. They look very mm-hmm. similar. Uh, but, you know, things like copper uh, fungicide and daconil, uh, those two in particular, other fungicides also, but that would be my top two. And I was telling a lady yesterday the same question uh, with pictures, by Mm -hmm. the way. Yeah. You know, to go ahead and get out there and start spraying these hydrangeas, come back in about 10 days, two weeks, spray again. You want to spray at least twice. And I told her, I said, you know, these leaves are going to drop this winter. When it starts getting cold, they'll drop their leaves. Mm -hmm. I said, get all that debris out of there also. Yeah. And when you spray, you're spraying the, the foliage and the ground. And then watch that new growth next year, next spring. It should come out pretty and clean and green, Mm -hmm. okay? Yeah. Now, if you start seeing any spotting early in the season, you jump on it. You pick off those leaves and spray that fungicide. But it's not uncommon at all. And some years, like you said, Veda, are worse than others. But we're seeing a lot of it this year. And it makes them look horrible. I get it. But most of that is a combination of weather and uh, it could be the environment that the hydrangea is growing mm-hmm. in, a, a stress environment. Yeah. Uh, you know, nine times out of ten, we're putting hydrangeas. Well, first of all, they don't even want to be here anyway. 
You know, they don't like Shelby County. They don't like our weather whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're not in Nantucket, okay? But, <laughs> Where there's a Nantucket blue hydrangea. Yes, there is. But uh, it's just, it's, it, it, stress can do a lot of that also. So uh, I agree with you. High shade is a perfect environment. Even some morning sun. I've got mm-hmm. one that gets morning sun. Uh, now, it looks horrible right now like everybody else's does. But I know that when it drops its leaves, like I said, I'm going to get all that debris out of there. I'm going to clean it up. Um, and then I'm going to watch that new growth really carefully next spring, and yeah. it should come out clean and green. And I'm going to do the uh, mm. basic fertilization so it can it can have more nutrients to come out of the stress. It may lose some leaves premature, prematurely. I, even I'm going to spray, even though some there's different studies, you know, the, that... Mm. But I'm going to spray like the uh, seaweed mm-hmm. or the super bloom over it mm-hmm. uh, because there's microorganisms and all of that. And I'm trying to get it on the foliage to get it in the little bacterial spots, adding some b- beneficial bacteria to hopefully slow that down, too. Since the leaves are going to fall off, fall off, I'm not going to spray, but I'm definitely going to get them out of the way. Yeah. But next spring, like you say, because we're, we're coming into a season, we're trying to have it last all year. That's right. Then I'm definitely, I'll spray copper like or copper. neem. Either one of those I'll spray if the leaves start coming And the on. neem is fine to use when the temperatures are, are cool enough to where yeah. you can, especially in the spring. But I like the idea where you said you're going to do the holly tone and the earthworm castings. You're using the holly tone as a, just a good, natural, organic, non-burning type fertilizer. And it's great for acidic-loving plants. In this case, okay, hydrangeas. Mm-hmm. But also the earthworm castings as a top dressing because you're also working on the soil. You know, the, the plant can't get up and walk away if it doesn't like yeah. where it is, you okay? You like earthworms don't like where it is, so they move. <laughs> yeah. But our plant, yeah. No, so you're working on both the soil and you're putting that nutrient value in there. So, yeah, but I think you, you told them right for yeah, sure. So we're going to make sure that we have great blooms next year, but we can't guarantee the weather. Yeah. You know, I wonder how, well, First, the one thing I was thinking about is you can prune the dried blooms off the hydrangea mm-hmm. just at the ends. You know, don't go deep into it. Deadheading, not a problem. Yeah, but I love to keep those on there. I really like to see the uh, dead hydrangea blooms in the winter. Actually, it's just some like, people do like yeah, you. Some people don't. I just want to see that because that adds different textures. That adds um, places for beneficial insects. Uh, birds even mm-hmm. you know Seeds. so yeah it's a that see that would be interactive that was the word we were trying to think of the interactive <laughs> garden that's uh going to be something fun to put in her yard actually i just thought of that because we're still doing some stuff in the back but i just wanted people to be aware that you know hydrangeas do look horrible i promise you Mm -hmm. right now i mean i haven't seen one in memphis that doesn't and spraying with the uh, the copper like you're talking about or the dacanil or even the neem um it would definitely help for next year because you want them clean before they flush out next year Mm -hmm. and that's why you know i want to spray now come back in two weeks and spray again but that's why i also want to get that debris out of there later on this fall or in winter because I don't want those spores just laying there up under this hydrangea ready to go yeah. next spring either. Right, you know? right. And in, in any way, when I'm doing the fertilization to the um, hydrangeas, just go ahead and do your whole yard if you're using like the organic or the natural. Oh, because sure. it's not going to give fertilizer to the plant so fast that it flushes out quicker than needed at this time of year. Right, and you then, know, go force that, that growth before mm, winter. Yeah, because... Okay, so we've got September, October. Sometimes, what's our last frost date? October, 
No, probably no, November 15th. November yeah. 15th, yeah. that's it. So, yeah, you know, really, we still have three good months before the frost date. Yeah, you know, you're fine. And, mm-hmm. and I think the last frost date is April 15th. I think the beginning of the mm-hmm. frost date would be like November 15th. But like I said, but if you're feeding with organics, and we'll talk about this more this fall, uh, I mean, I go out there at least twice a year and feed organics, whether it's in the spring, usually starting in the spring. But my last application is definitely in the fall. And a lot of people have it in their mind they can't feed in the fall because they don't want to flush growth mm-hmm. there again before winter sets in. Well, if you're using a good organic fertilizer, you're not going to prematurely flush anything. Mm-hmm. You put the fertilizer down, the soil breaks it down to a usable mm-hmm. fertilizer, and the plant uses it as it needs it. Yeah. You know, that's the beauty of it. I know. I love it. It's like the food's always there. Um, and then this is a hard time. Well, we'll go back over it the, or go over it the next few minutes. Um this is a great time if you're converting to organics to start now. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll it's not a bad time why. to do it. But also, yeah. Vader, we'll get back from the break. Uh, Judy Woodcall, she's got some questions about some Christmas cactus. Oh, yes, Christmas cactus. Yay, that means Christmas is around I'm going to call corner. it a fall cactus right now. Or an Easter cactus. Yeah, I just can't say Christmas just yet. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. We're going to run to a break. Uh, 260-5926 or post questions on the Facebook Live. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Uh, you can text us a question on Facebook Live. Um, the Mighty 990 Facebook page. Yes. And you can call 260-5926. And if you don't want to be on the radio, then Philip, our program director, will... He's looking at me, will I? Yes. He'll take your question and put it on the board, and that way you don't have to talk on the radio. Yeah. And then we did have a texter on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, Miss Judy Wood. She said, the question is about Christmas cactus on a covered porch. Uh, several branches have been just falling off, and we've seen that before. Uh, is this a watering issue? Question mark. And how to treat... A white substance mm-hmm. on the leaves. Some is easy to rub off, and some is not. Well, maybe that could be the the mealy bug too, instead of the bacterial it, spot. It could be. I mean, wh- what I would do is I would start over. Uh, if I was mm-hmm. Judy, I would uh, first of all I'd make sure that I had a container that had really good drainage. Okay, whether it's a clay pot, plastic mm-hmm. pot, ceramic, it doesn't matter. But just good drainage is a must. I would go ahead and repot it just because, you know, and mm-hmm. just use a good, uh, you know, high-quality potting soil or, or a succulent cactus yeah. soil, one or the other. Uh, so make sure the pot well, – and then also make sure it's the right size pot. You don't want a pot that's way too big, and you surely don't want one that's so small where the pot – where the Christmas cactus is root-bound, okay? And this is going to be true with any house plant that we – repot yeah so if you need to bump up the pot size go one no more than two sizes up use a good high grade potting soil make sure you've got good drainage and i would go ahead and just get it repotted firstly okay because a lot of times i've seen christmas cactus and i, and I don't know why <laughs> it might be the only whole house plant beta that we do this to where mm-hmm. it's been in that same pot for 25 years the soil level is gone. Half of the soil has been just eaten up. Mm-hmm. It's gone. You know, it's halfway down in the pot where it used to be. So that's why I'm saying, you know, check the pot size, check the drainage, good high-quality potting soil, and get it repotted. And then, Judy, of course, there's a million different fertilizers, whether it's a water-soluble plant food or whether it's granulated like Osmocote, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and definitely start feeding it. But I'm like Veda. If you've got this white substance that's on the foliage— 
there is an insect called a mealybug. I mean, I'm not saying that's what it is. It surely can be a mealybug. And if it is a mealybug, you know, you've got to start spraying to kill those things. And they're not the easiest insect to get rid of. But if you're spraying more than one time, which you'll definitely have to do, you know, you can get rid of these mealybugs. And the other thing they'd have seen on some of these, especially these older Christmas cactus, is mm-hmm. just the old scalp that gets on there. Yeah. You know, it's just, it, it's, it's, it doesn't wipe off. It's just mm-hmm. like part of the tissue yeah, that's itself. Just, you just see that on Christmas cactus. It just kind of happens like that. Um, there, I, I helped somebody transplant a Christmas cactus because that's what we were thinking, too. Mm. It was just like you described in the pot for 25 years. I had dust on the top, you know, oh, because... Yeah. Guess just how Christmas cactuses we do it. And then the leaves are just, it was kind of swiveled yeah. and pieces were falling off. Yeah. So we did the, the same thing, uh, used the cactus succulent mix. But sometimes when you take it out of the pot, it's not totally root bound. So you have to hold it and then just barely set it in there. Hold the root system yeah. together. Yeah. And then the ones that come off, you can actually just stick them, you know, back into the soil. Right. Pop them in half, you know, where the little joints are and stick them back in the soil. And hers started filling out and looking much better. It could bloom because it was under some stress, obviously, mm-hmm. or it could not bloom because it's waiting to get situated, too. So, but you have to transplant them. And the thing is amazing. You see the people with the, they're in like a 10 inch or a 14 inch pot. They've been in the, that pot I know. for 30 years I know. and the thing is huge. So what is it that they do that we don't do that makes it just amazingly big? Well, but I mean, I, yeah, I mean the pot size, of course, but mm-hmm. I, I still think with Judy is just like I said, just start over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, know, you mean by taking it yeah, out? Taking or, it or, out yeah, taking it out. And, and if the pot is still the right size, mm-hmm. you know, make sure that you really disinfect that pot. Wash that thing down really mm-hmm. good. Rinse it off really good with that water. Good, like I said, good high quality potting soil, repotting. And I would go ahead, and if anything looks really horrible as far as the, what, what do we call them, a frond, <laughs> a leaf, a, a, oh, a limb, yeah. whatever we call you know, I'd go ahead and clean it up and cut <laughs> out anything it. that looked really bad, mm-hmm. start feeding this thing to stimulate new growth. And I think uh, Judy would be okay. Now, as far as the white Judy, you know, I, I almost have to see a picture mm-hmm. to, yeah. to tell you, you know, whether it's a, you know, a, a little mold that's on there, whether it's mealybugs that's on there, whether it's just a scab yeah. that's on there. But uh, I think she's doing the right thing by washing it down as mm-hmm. best she can. Uh, and if you see little white, fuzzy little fuzzy, bumps, yes. then that is definitely mealybugs. Right. On and there. then you can treat that. Don't spray neem or, or any insect aside on it, but you can treat it with alcohol on a Q-tip. Yeah. But when she's transplanting and adding nutrients, that also makes that plant more resistant to the insects. Yeah. So that's going to help a lot. More light, you know, I see a lot of times they're We push them back. over in the corner yeah. after they bloom. We just right. stick them back in that dark corner. Yeah, is that happened to me. I was doing the thing with the Christmas cactus and I was like, oh, every house has to have a Christmas cactus sitting around they just do. looking horrible. You well, know. collecting dust. But what do you yeah, mean? Yeah, so, but this one wasn't. I had went the whole season of it in the house and then actually it was around November, I think, bringing some house plants in doing this and I was like oh it's Christmas cactus put it in the garage and came out like I mean I was going in and out of the garage and then like maybe two weeks later 
It had buds on yeah. it oh, because yeah. I changed the light situation. Yeah. And then it, so then it started blooming and I'm thinking, now I don't want to take it inside because I'm going to move its location and maybe stress it, maybe lose some blooms. Drop the blooms. But you know, people, the way the Christmas cactus get to us is they're shipped to um, us directly or mm-hmm. to a, a grower in the area and then they come to us. So actually they go through a lot of movement. They before. do. And, and, you know, it's just the, you know, the, uh, the days of the, the hours of day of sunlight, mm-hmm. you know, they, when the days start getting shorter, you know, a lot of times that would trigger them to go ahead and start setting buds. But also, if it is insect-related, uh, Judy, there is a granulated insecticide, you know, the, the systemic houseplant granules yeah. that you can just sprinkle on the top of the soil water those in, and the mm-hmm. roots will absorb that product. And if it is insect-related, it typically will kill most insects that will attack our houseplants. And you can do that without having mm-hmm. to spray. Yeah, because if you're having a lot of insects on a certain plant, then it's definitely in uh, duress. It's definitely switch or switching. What's the word? Suffering. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's definitely suffering. And worm casting does tremendous um fertilization now, to it. I'm do you work amazed. the worm castings into mm-hmm. the potting soil? It's like a mulching. Or just it. as a top dressing. Yeah, just, and really I'm just taking a scoop full. Now what's a scoop? Uh, two ounces, I okay. guess. Three, two, three, something like that. So because not it's a lot. pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just sprinkle it around and you see great growth. But the one thing that has helped the most, and I know it's difficult when you've just got tons of houseplants, is taking them outside and they seem to, they'll, of course, they're in their more natural conditions and they'll uh, sprout out quicker. They like the air circulation and all. And then they'll pet back up. But then I have to slowly work them back into the building uh, mm-hmm. because they've had such perfect conditions. Mm-hmm. So they've got lush, lots and lots of leaves. So I know when they come in, we're going to have some leaf drop, mm-hmm. but it's still not horrible. Otherwise, what are you going to do with your plants? You know, get them close to the window. Mm-hmm. Make sure you turn them. There was one plant we did not turn. You need to turn them. Yeah, and it was on a pole, totem pole, Swiss cheese, actually. Mm-hmm. And it was by the window, but the window was higher. And this one was right turned against the uh, wall. Mm-hmm. And I started looking at it. Oh, there was a yellow leaf or two, and I pulled it off. And then I thought, you know... This one's never been turned, and the whole backside was just flat where it was against the darkness. Mm-hmm. So we're turning it. Now a little new growth is coming It's amazing. Out. It is. Or there is the uh, pothos that you put. Pothos can take dark, you know, low areas, If you ever want a houseplant that you are not going to kill. Yeah, try that. Yeah. But we had it next to the window. The leaves started getting bigger, so I took it away from the window to see, and then the leaves got smaller. But they both look good either way. All right, we've done an hour, and we've got two more to go. We can't wait for it. Y'all get your questions together, 260-5926. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can join us for our second hour. I am Beta with Palladio Gardens in Memphis, Tennessee. Yes, she is, and I'm Kenneth with Danwest Garden Centers right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Miss Veda. And there's lots of other independent garden centers out around Memphis. Oh, good um, folks. Y'all Absolutely. can check out. And um, you can, uh, y'all should look at our Instagram um, 
for Palladio and for Dan West because you're going to get a lot of information off Instagram, actually, of what's going on in the in the uh, garden industry and new oh, yeah. plants and oh, yeah. what the plants look like right now. But when you look at our Instagram, you're going to be saying, oh, I'm on my way. Yeah. I'm on my way. Yeah, I man. See it. those beautiful, uh, all that fall stuff coming in. Uh, if you want to give us a call this morning, 260-5926, 260-5926, or you can go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text like Brian Black did right here. It says, need to know about uh, transplanting hydrangeas. Uh, some trees, of course, got cut down, and now they're getting way too much afternoon sun. And Veda and Brian, we hear that quite often. You've got a shade garden, and whether it's a tree that had to come down in your landscape, mm-hmm. or like I told you a couple weeks ago, Somebody moves in beside you, and they cut oh, down 13 trees. That's heartbreaking. <laughs> and what used to be your beautiful shade landscape mm. is now completely sun. That's such a horrible difference, really, when you have the beautiful, lush shade <coughs> garden, and it's shading your house, and that's where you're sitting, and you've worked so hard, and you've oh, spent yeah. lots of money on hostas oh, yeah. because you're a hosta collector, and Hostas then your and neighbor... Comes in and cuts the tree down. Well, and then sometimes we have to cut our own tree down. So, yeah. but Brian, I mean, that's a great question because it happens quite often. And you're right. Uh, you know, it's not going to do you a lot of good to keep that hydrangea there. It might live there, but it's never going to thrive there. And it's always going to look horrible, you know, in the summertime if you don't get that thing moved to a more shady environment. But what I would say is I'd still wait, they wouldn't you, a couple more weeks. Let it get a little yeah, cooler. Yeah, really would. Uh, you know, than it is. I mean, if you had the luxury mm-hmm. of waiting another two, three right. weeks toward the end of the month. And just for the confusion thing, we're saying you can plant hydrangeas now, but then we're saying, no, you can't transplant now. That's because the hydrangeas mm-hmm. aren't having their root system cut That's right. around Probably it. in half. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so go out there, you know, latter part of the month or when it starts to cool off a little bit, Brian, and just, uh, you know, try to dig up the hydrangea. And, and I, of course, don't try to dig it up. Dig up the hydrangea. <laughs> but I always tell people, try to get as much of the root ball as you possibly can. Yeah. You know, and you can't get it all. You're not going to get it all. But get it dug up <clears throat> as much of the root ball as you can. Get it transplanted to the new area, uh, which is going to be a more shaded environment. I don't mind if it gets uh, some morning sun or some high shade or, or mottled sun like we were talking about a while ago. And, you know, just make sure you amend the soil. You know, add some soil conditioners or some compost products, some garden soil. Add something to that new area, yeah. to that clay soil uh, to improve the drainage, of course. Get it planted, <clears throat> plant it no deeper than it is now. And then what I like to do is get a root stimulator. Just mix it with water and saturate that root system once a week for about a month mm-hmm. after I transplant this hydrangea. Matter of fact, we're just saying you better do the root stimulator. Yeah, I miss mm-hmm. your plant insurance. And then put down a light layer of mulch down to help insulate the roots and hold that moisture in. But it's really, they're, they're not hard to transplant, to be honest with you. You yeah. you know they you might have a lot of leaf droop, and even some <laughs> leaf drop. Some droop. Droop. You know what I'm saying, Veda? Because those yeah. big leaves they tend to droop. You know if you uh-huh. transplant them. Uh, cause How's just, that? Y'all y'all need he needs to be the one on camera. They He's can't very see me. Animated. Yeah, they can't see my hands. For who y'all are who watching? It's droop. Droop. Yeah, yeah the hands go down. Yeah. So um, so just be aware of that also, Brian. But it's uh, it's really nothing to it. So just remember, just the key things is. I would let it get a little cooler, unless you have to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, which you probably don't have to yeah. do it just yet. And it's going to look horrible right, right now in that sun. I get that. But let it get a little cooler. Dig that thing up, like we said, as much of the root ball. Transplant it. Well-drained soil. Amend the soil. 
Use a root stimulator after you plant, and you should be in fine shape. Now, it might bloom next year. It might Mm -hmm. not because of the transplanting, but still you go put it in an area where it's more conducive for growth. And besides, if it is (laughs) drooping now or losing some leaves and all, it's okay because they're going to lose leaves naturally anyway. Right. And they may be losing just because of the transplant shock, so don't freak out on that. Uh, The root stimulator is fantastic. Again, boy. But, uh, well, actually, you, the soil amendment that you get, sometimes they have worm casting, sometimes they don't. That's right. But the soil amendment is where meaning it's got to be one that's got a lot of natural, you mm. know, just not a, a topsoil heavy one. <clears throat> not like that. But the soil amendment, and you're mixing it with the dirt you took out of the hole. But you need it almost half and half. You don't want to have three-fourths soil amendment and a fourth. No, no. You yeah, need, you need some of your native soil, some yeah. of your clay soil in there. That's why we always say you're not replacing your soil. Mm-hmm. You're amending your yeah. soil. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Brian, you're right on key, you know, to get that thing dug up and moving. And, honestly, fall is really probably the mm-hmm. best time to do it, even more so than spring, believe it or not. Yeah, because your roots are actually still growing and getting established quicker than say in the spring is still a great time to tr- uh, transplant or plant spring, but you have less amount of time for your roots getting established. However, again, if you're mixing a lot of good mm-hmm. organic product with biodiversity that's getting your soil looser, your roots are going to go down deeper instead of saying saying at the surface. Yeah, so hopefully that'll help you out, Brian. If you have any more questions, brother, just shoot us a text mm-hmm. for sure. Also, Veda, you know, how can I put this? You know, we, we've said this a thousand times. We just went through a very hot, dry, dry, dry growing season. A really grow, the year, if you think about it. Yeah, the year's been crazy. Yeah, with the I mean, but, but, you know, really from mid spring, uh, you know, we had, it was wet from what, November to April. It was. It was absolutely. wet, wet, yeah. wet, wet, yeah. wet. And we saw a lot of damage out there, especially for people that had plants that didn't get adequate drainage. Had two or three weeks of beautiful spring weather. Overnight, it got really hot and it got really dry. So really, the whole summer mm-hmm. has just been bone dry. <laughs> uh, and especially for areas, let's say, under these big oak trees. You know, yeah. it really gets dry up under there. You know, the, the root system is... You know, it's, it's just bonding that soil together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sucking all the moisture, you know, completely out of the soil. Uh, and it can get really dry up under these oak trees where if you only have grass, I'm not so concerned because you can, you know, just water the grass yeah. from time to time and it usually makes it okay. But a lot of people have, you know, beds and so forth up under these oak groves or these, you know, individual oak trees. And the reason I'm going to bring this product up, you know, and I've talked about it before is the old percolate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Percolate is a liquid that you dilute and spray on the soil and it makes almost water wetter. You get better penetration of water after spraying the soil with this percolate. And I promise you, it is amazing. You you can go out there with your water hose and water an area that's just baked bone dry. And half the water is running down your yard into the curb, okay? Well, you use this (laughs) percolate uh, and, and you spray, it helps moisture, it helps uh, the, uh, the, to increase the water penetration into the soil so you don't have as much wastewater. Uh, so I'm telling you this product works. And also it contains nitrogen plus the micronutrients like the iron, the manganese, and the zinc. And this also helps uh, condition the soil for greater efficiency of water. So if you've got a situation where, you know, you've done 
really everything's planted, but that mm-hmm. soil is still just hard and it doesn't absorb that water like it should. Uh, I'm telling you that product called Percolate, and you know, going through a summer like we just went through, mm-hmm. and it happens to me. I mean, I got a front yard Veda that's kind of sloping down towards the street, and I've got a tulip poplar, you know, yeah, that poplar, that poplar in my front yard, and under right up under that tree, it gets really dry, and it's really hard for me to water enough to penetrate that that soil. Yeah. It just, most of it tries to run off. Mm-hmm. So that product called Percolate, and one quart covers about 5,000 square feet. You can even use it on potted houseplants. If you've got old soil that's kind of hard, uh-huh. you can mix a teaspoon in a quart of water and use it on the soil in houseplants. Uh-huh. I'm going to have to play with that and just, just enjoy the, the benefits of the Percolate. And... Uh, like again, you were saying if it's not penetrated, so you would probably have to pull the mulch back on your bed so it could make it to the soil. You not if you're just because you're putting this stuff out with water anyway. Mm-hmm. Now it would be better, yeah, uh, if you're using it in the beds to pull the mulch back. But you don't even have to do that. It's no. going to find its way down to the soil. Yeah, leaks um, through. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, that sounds good. And uh, also, we have put mm. compost in areas that are not absorbing the water quick enough, hoping the compost is going to hold it a little longer where it, where it will work its way down into the soil. But if it's hard as well, you know, sometimes you do have to take the screwdriver to the container and poke holes in it. You know, we have to do that um, in the garden center with plants that come in, you know, in the little four-inch pots. Yeah. And growers have them in sphagnum for the grower benefit but then for our benefit it's not so good but they get sometimes you know the sun's just blaring and they're not wilting yet but they're the soil's dried out and it's so hard that you can just water water and it's not going to penetrate so a lot of times i'm just pushing my thumb into the pots uh, while you're trying to, and I, I mean, it does not that many pots. It's not like I'm doing a hundred, but it helps it uh, work its way back down into the center of the root. But I ball. tell you, it's amazing how how hard soil can get. It is. Case to point, I told you about this, but I know we got to go to a break. I had those two Nandinas that were on e- either side of my front door for years, okay? Mm-hmm. And I just kept them cut short and, and it, it, to, to the point they didn't even look like a Nandina. <laughs> it looked like just a yeah. nice ground green shrub. And finally, I said, you know, I'm fixing to dig these things up. And it was in the middle of the summer. And I water like everybody else. I mean, I don't overly water, but I don't underwater either. And I started trying to dig these Nandinas up. And I mean, well, first of all, I think I broke the first shovel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah was know, it the Domestica, the old-fashioned Well, it one, was or? Domestica Compacta. Compacta so it okay. was, yeah, the old-fashioned, except in a dwarf mm-hmm. form. But the roots are going to be the same. And I mean, <laughs> guys, I dug. So I had to go get an axe, yeah. finally, and, and started trying to axe this thing out. But it wasn't just the Nandina, which are hard mm-hmm. to dig up. It was my soil that was in that particular yeah. part of the bed. It was like digging through concrete. And I'm like, how can soil around here get this compact and this hard, right. honestly? Because, so that's a, lot, a big, well, I guess we need to go to a break first. Okay, so y'all pick us up on Facebook Live or call us at 260-5926. We'll be right back. Go 
Good morning and welcome back. I guess we should be talking about this on air instead of trying to figure it out right now. But we still have, uh, we're still on one topic. Oh, it was digging up the Mandina. Is that somebody, not a Nandina, but he called it a Mandina. I mean, if you never dug one up, you'll, oh, I tell you what, you'll hire it out, I oh, promise yes. you. yes. We used a Sawzall, or is what's the other word for it? Sawzall seems to be an old Well, it's like word. a handheld jigsaw. Yeah, and we just cut those roots, and we've done that at a big crepe myrtle, getting it out. Yeah. Um, you know, why use an axe when you've got the Sawzall? But, it, but, yeah, but, but talking about that, that product percolate that makes mm-hmm. the soil more... Uh, hold more, retain more water. Uh, but I was just thinking, I don't know how these things were even living in this little spot because, I mean, I, haven't, I hadn't done anything to this spot in 20 years. I mean, you know, they were growing there. They were fine. They were healthy. They had mulch over it, and that's all I needed to know, right? Right. But well, did, little did I know how horrible that soil was right there, though, they Yeah. Oh, that's what it was. Uh, it's all misconceiving a lot of times because when we dig our soil out, our yeah. native soil, and chop it up, it's crumbly and nice. Mm-hmm. And so you're thinking, oh, this is good. Why do I need? But our soil converts back to that hard pan soil. Yes. So we're adding the compost to it to loosen that soil and keep our, our normal hard pan soil from taking back over. <laughs> well, I, I replaced the Nandinas with Arbovitis, so I knew, look, these things have got to have good drainage. Yeah. And I can't have just a whole, like a bathtub setting here mm. uh, that's mm. going to just hold water and rot these roots of anything that I put in there. So I had to rebuild, I had to dig wider than I did deep, and I had to really amend that soil. And then I planted high. In other words, I planted the arbovitas with the root ball kind of sticking out of the ground. So I improved the drainage knowing that with that hard clay soil that was right there, it was going to hold moisture, Mm -hmm. Veda. If if I didn't do this right, the root system was going to rot off anything that I put down in there. Yeah, just bottom line. Uh, I think Burford Hollies like uh, more wet conditions, but we hardly do those anymore. And there's so much pruning to them involved, unless you're going to let them get large. Well, I mean, most hollies think about it, whether it's the Needlepoint, the Nellie R. Stevens, the Foster Hollies, the Burford Hollies, like you mm-hmm. said, the Oakland Hollies. I mean, there's a place in every landscape for hollies. There's no doubt about it. And then there's the dwarfs, you know, the, the Hellerise and the Opons and yeah. so forth. And you're right. I've got two hollies, Burford hollies. It's funny you mentioned that on either side of my carport. And I do have to prune those probably about four times a year because yeah, I keep them, true. you know, I, I've got a shape that I want and I, mm-hmm. I want to keep them tight. And, you know, so it, it, it does take some cutting. Now, if I had these like against a back fence that I was just trying to create a green wall, you know, I don't know mm-hmm. if I'd ever have to prune them. Yeah, and they get the most beautiful red berries, too. There was one house that we worked at that had a Burford holly, and <clears throat> I was just impressed and wondering how they let how they actually made it grow to that. But then they were like, well, we moved in, and it was just planted there. But now it's a tree. Oh, sure. You know, they, they kept... Uh, taking the limbs off the bottom. So they tree-formed they it? They tree-formed it. Yeah, kind of like a crate myrtle. Yeah, it's above. <laughs> they've got a one-story house. It's above the roof, and that's about the highest that it grows. So really, it's a small ornamental tree. I mean, it's probably going to grow smaller than or s- less than a regular tree, not as quick. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, you know, like, it just depends on how, if you'll just keep putting moisture and fertilizer, you can get it up there. Well, that's the biggest thing with hollies. You got you need to make sure you know what you're getting when you get mm-hmm. one, because it depends on what you're using this holly for. Yeah. I mean, if you want a holly that's going to get, you know, 40 foot tall, then yeah, go get a savannah holly. That's perfectly mm-hmm. fine. 
you know, if you want a holly that's going to get really tall there again, go get a foster holly. Yeah. But if you want hollies for more <laughs> practical and ornamental purposes uh, and decorative purposes around your landscape, then you need to be careful yeah. of what you get. Exactly. Because there's so many different ones out there. Yeah. And I love them all, Veda. The, 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 peop- the reason people love hollies mm-hmm. is because they're so hardy. Yeah. And they can take the abuse. I mean, they can really go through a lot before they check out, okay? <laughs> uh, and sometimes even then, they, you know, we kill them somehow, some way. But, no, there's, there's always going to be a place for hollies. Yeah. Yep. I, the only thing I see for them is just when they don't get water forever. Then mm. they start turning a light green. And, and then, then you start getting get, scale on yeah. them. And, yeah, and then it's saying, mm. okay, you really got to do something for me. I got a question for you. Mm-hmm. What does slug bait and Alice in Wonderland have in common? Oh, that's one of my questions huh? that I usually Any idea? Ask. Slug bait, Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, she doesn't know. Uh, she has figure, no clue. No. I don't even. Okay, what? Well, because, you know, they've got the big display at the Botanic Gardens, so or they oh, did. And oh. it still might be there of Alice in Wonderland. Hopefully. Okay. And all of that stuff <laughs> is green material. Mm-hmm. It is amazing. And I was talking to the gentleman from the Botanic Gardens a couple of weeks ago. And he came in and got some slug bait, uh, and he said it's for the display. And I said, hold on. you got to explain to me, what do you mean for the display? (laughs) So there again, if people that have been to the Botanic Gardens and they've seen Alice in Wonderland, the display out there, and it's absolutely beautiful, Veda. Everybody should go see this. Well, the slugs on one of the displays are towards the bottom at ground level. They're eating the the green material. Wow. Okay. Even at the Botanic Garden. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, slugs are everywhere. You know that, especially if you've got just a bowl of fresh green out there for them, (laughs) you know, to come eat. A salad bowl. Um, But the the slug baits, uh, and the reason I bring this up also, they're not necessarily the same slug baits of years past, Okay. Way back when, when you and I were growing up, Veda, it was Slugetta and Bugetta. Mm-hmm. And those were horribly toxic to dogs and cats and birds and everything in between. It did a good job on slugs, but it was just a, you had to be careful yeah. using that stuff. Well, now there's the, the iron phosphide that's in most of your organic slug baits now. And they still do a great job in mm-hmm. killing slugs. In fact, they, it's a bait that you sprinkle out, but it's completely safe to use around me and you, the dog, the cat. And like I said, it does just as good or better of a job than the old stuff that we used to use. But I was just thinking, you know, slugs were really bad early in the spring because of all the moisture we had. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're still potentially really bad out there. So if you've got slugs eating your hostas, your begonias, or just any of your bedding plant green tissue, uh, then just remember there are some slug baits out there that you can safely use out there. Not a problem whatsoever because so many people of us, I mean, they either have children or they have mm-hmm. pets. Yeah. And they, they have to be extremely careful on what they can and can't use, Theta. Right, right. And, of course, now that I've done some research on slugs, we know they have so many teeth, so many teeth. <laughs> like I was saying, it's really, I never really think of a slug having a, so many teeth. I don't know. You think how. a shark has teeth? Go look at a slug. Yeah. I don't know how <laughs> I thought they were biting the leaves off. You know, I guess I thought they had strong slug lips or something, <laughs> but they have slug lots lips. of teeth. I'm writing that word down. <laughs> and a little bit goes a long way. A pound would cover about a thousand square feet. So you see this little canister, which is usually, it comes in a pound or even mm-hmm. a four pound, but a pound goes a long way, guys. 
But if it was me, I'd put it down, come back in about two weeks and reapply it. And I'm telling you, it does a really, really good job on getting rid of those slugs and snails. Right. Oh, talk about getting rid of things. There is one small area in the garden center that where the, it almost... It just doesn't drain fast enough, and it just happens to be in the area that we're potting. So a lot of times it's just moist for a numerous uh, amount of hours in the day or for irrigating a lot. So we went back the other, we went back there to pot, and the, the insects were just uh, biting us like crazy. Yeah. So I um, put the the um the bug the oh mosquito beater from yeah. bonad i just sprinkled that all the around dry version. yeah yes all around and instantly i mean we didn't have we don't have any more problems back there now i'm gonna do again because you know it gets wet and, and wears out but y'all that mosquito <clears throat> beater and it's natural really worked well so try that out if you're having mosquito issues because the mosquitoes aren't over when we're in full no, fall. No. They're <laughs> right. out there in full force. Exactly. 260-5926. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Garden. You can call us 260-5926. I think a lot of people are cruising to the lake for Labor Day weekend. But then there's a lot of people getting out in their garden, too. And we've got Jamie, the Master Gardener. Good morning, Jamie. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Good morning. Hey, Jamie. Good morning to you, buddy. Look, y'all just mentioned something that's a city treasure that uh, not everybody in the city knows about the Botanic Garden and Mm-hmm. And the Dixon Gallery Center. That is just that was those are city treasures, and uh, people need to take advantage of that thing more and more than they do. Oh, well, I, I can't agree more. And Jamie, it was just uh, the gentleman that came in from the Botanic Gardens. He was really kind of like the head guy looking over the plant material that made up Alice in Wonderland. And and I I hadn't had a chance to go over there myself, but I was looking at the pictures. And it was stunning, I'm telling you, what I was looking at. And he said there have been, you know, thank goodness, droves and droves and droves of people almost on a daily basis going through the Botanic Gardens to see this display. And then I was just thinking, here's this little bitty little old snail, you know, out there by the millions, I guess, really affecting some of the growth at the very bottom of one of these displays. Of course, so he was putting the slug bait out. But I was just thinking, out of all things, you know, that's going to affect this beautiful display over there would be one of the smallest little nastiest little creatures out there, which is a slug or a snail, right? Right. <laughs> but uh, it, it is a city treasure. And y'all were speaking earlier. We, we're uh, the Master Gardeners in February. We've just we hadn't got the dates except I think it's going to be the second week in February. Uh, we always do a thing with. Uh, Master Gardeners and the Botanic Garden presents, mm-hmm. and we got two good speakers coming this year. Uh, at uh, it's going to be the the seventh or the second, first or second week in, in February. So that's something to look forward. Now, to. Hold on, and now Jamie, would that be at the Botanic Gardens? Yes, uh huh. It would be. All right, good. Yes. I'm putting it on my calendar. I yeah, and you're going to need to yeah keep us informed of who the speakers are going to be. Well, I, I will, but uh, let's let's hold off till I can get the exact dates. And we, I got we, you. We have decided on what we're going to do. It's just we haven't got the speakers lined up yet. So, but anyway, well, I'll get back with that on that because it's going to be a big event this year, more so than 
in the past. We've missed the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The pandemic got us one year, and and finances got us another year. But Lori <laughs> Williams just does a great job out there with the educational part mm-hmm. of this thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, we're going to we're going to do that, and we're working on that as we speak. So, well, and, and yeah. let me and can I say this also, Jamie? Now, and you don't want to hear this, but you're also a city treasure too to us. Okay. Well, th- thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Tell Jan, would you tell you next time you see her? <laughs> I most definitely will. <laughs> He's a treasure, Jan. Yeah, Jan yes. is. Jan's texting me. Uh, she's, anyway, she's, another little thing that's coming up, and I don't mean to. Uh, these people don't do anything for me at all. But uh, the if you got young children, take them down to the Holly Springs for that uh, hummingbird festival. Yeah, that is thing. That is something that they'll never forget about. Then the strawberry plains down there. Oh, the hummingbird is just fantastic down there. Oh, I want to go, I want to go, but we're always working or resting. It's the the 8th through the 11th, I believe. Hang on just a second. I got it right now. That is a fun time. 10th, 11th. And that's that's right down the road at Holly Springs. I mean, you can the 10th and the 11th. Yeah. So the 10th and the 11th, write that one on your calendar also, guys, if you want to really enjoy the hummingbirds, because they're right there in the migratory, I mean, just highway. And you talk yeah. about if you ever hang a feeder around here and you see four mm-hmm. or five hummingbirds, that's good. Yeah. You go down there, you go see <laughs> hundreds of those things. Yeah, I've got two that I'm, I'm don't leave, you know. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. We've got a hummingbird feeder we put up every year. And we've got two, and they, of course, they hate each other. You know, they're both bullies, and they want to, you know, kind of hoard all the food that's in there. They run each other off mm-hmm. every time they come up there. But I'm, I'm glad to have the two. But, Jamie, if you want to see clouds of hummingbirds, go down to Holly Absolutely. Springs, like you said, on the 10th and the 11th. Oh, it's, it's, it's great. It's, it's a great thing. And the kids really, really, really enjoy that. Yeah, they so. do. But anyway, if you, y'all mentioned what to do, and we just dug up the tomato plants and everything and trying yeah. to lay take relax for a month or so and you if you look at your master garter calendar you got more to do this month than probably ever in the history of the world so. no rest for the weary buddy oh it's depressing <laughs> true true but anyway but anyway we love you guys and thank you for the job that y'all are doing thank you jamie thank Thanks you for jamie calling and giving us an update yeah the hummingbirds um festival has speakers also oh, lots yeah. of speakers garden walks Fire research, uh, plot exploration. They and they banned some of the hummingbirds. Uh, oh, banned them like you like they said. Do not come to our festival. Band? No, not a band. Duh. <laughs> a band. Yeah. Is Duh. that different? Oh, okay. <laughs> so, what kind of band are they using? It's a little band they put. It's, it's an identification, like a bracelet oh. they put around their little ankle. You know, they always say that you know and watch the nature shows, and they've got. Oh my gosh! They put these little things on little bugs, yeah. and or the uh, tiger or the cubs have the things, the collars on. Oh yeah, them. And they're that's like, GPS. Oh, it doesn't bother them. I, as an animal, I would be. Why do I have to yeah, have why this? Why is it me? Because it is bothering me, you know. But I really love watching the uh, cams on on what animals do. It's but, incredible. But it's like uh, Jamie was just talking about, and we've been talking about this all morning. You know, we're coming into a new season. He thinks he can go out there and start getting all the. Uh, summer, uh, spring and summer vegetables out of there. You know, go ahead and clean it up, and we'll talk about that also. And then take it easy. Oh, no, no, no. There's always something to do. <laughs> always, always. Let's see the uh, Master Gardener's calendar. 
I had something on that to kind of go, yeah, y'all, the Master Gardener calendar, the only time they have them is like Thanksgiving, Christmas season, and then until they're all sold out. Mm -hmm. But y'all have to write this down for the list for your enjoyment or for a gift because it actually has pictures that are taken by local photographers that are master gardeners. Oh, it's the best calendar out there. Tons of information on what's going on. Yeah. We did have a texter on the Mighty 990 Facebook page. Uh, Mr. Jim, he said, how to repot a 40-year-plus Boston fern. 40-year-plus Boston fern. Good Lord, I want to make sure I was reading that right. <laughs> uh, a lot of it has uh, turned brown and died. Yeah, so... so 40-something <laughs> years old. And now I have seen a Boston fern uh-huh. in a container in the back of a trailer being mm. pulled by a pickup, you know. And yeah. it looked like it was, I mean, I was like, what? how? Uh-huh. They just keep taking this thing to a shop in the winter and they bring it out, yeah. in the, you know. But anyway, if you've got a 40-year-old-plus a Boston fern, and you got a lot of brown and dead tissue on there, Jim, and you want to repot it, what most people do at this point is they'll somehow either break or cut the pot that's on the fern off, yeah. and they'll get a saw, and they'll saw this thing either in half or in quarters to make four, mm-hmm. uh, and then get in there and really cut back you know, anything that's dead and brown. So you're, you're, you're cutting this thing back. You're cutting all that brown out of there. You're separating the, the fern itself, typically mm-hmm. speaking. And then you're just repotting what you have, whether you half it, whether you quarter it. Uh, and it's just it's going to be just so much easier to maintain instead of trying to keep this massive Boston mm-hmm. fern as one whole unit. Yeah. yeah, definitely dividing it. That's that's the only way. It's almost like dividing an ornamental grass. Yeah. You, you probably will need a sharpshooter. Or a shovel. I mean, yeah, or, or a chainsaw. It. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there's that hoary, hoary knife. That is incredible. It's not like the um, gardening knives that you get like at the uh, box stores, Mm -hmm. hardware stores, because there is truly a difference between the Hori Hori knife and then just the other types. It's much stronger and it cuts so much. It's got such a good serrated bra- blade. Which is I'm what able- you need that for this for this yeah, burn. So I'm able to cut through a lot of things with this knife instead of having to get the sharpshooter and missing like five times before I can <laughs> actually get in the center and then my, my grass is cut up <laughs> into ten pieces yeah. instead of four. Yeah. So I like to use a hoi hoi knife for that but a lot of times it's got to be a sharpshooter or a sawzall even. Uh, no doubt. And, now, it, and it's not going to hurt it. Now, if Jim wants to keep this thing as a whole unit, then I would mm-hmm. still go in there and, you know, try to just cut out what's dead. You know, yeah. get that stuff out of there. You're going to have to, Jim, go to a bigger size container, typically speaking. Uh, you know, you, you got to have the right size pot for the right size plant. No Jim, doubt. how long have you had it in that container? Well, it says 40. That's pl- well, the, but the, I wonder the, if it's in uh, the container because that's just interesting to me how, how a lot of people can grow something in the same size container forever and ever. And that's due to fertilization and water very strategically. Well, and ferns can really take root bound contain i mean they can get really really root bound also yeah, they're fine but but if it was mine though honestly i would make more than one plant out of this i would at least half it i'd probably go in there and even quarter it and just start over with some of the you know what the quarters yeah. or the halves beta it'd be a lot easier for him to, to actually grow them and you know we wanted to talk about i had bats on my list and you had bat 
It's on your list. That guano. The guano. So we're going to do that after this break. And also y'all can call us if you're not out cruising for your Labor Day fun at 260-5926. Good morning and welcome back, gardeners. So, uh, the bats and the bat guano and, you know, bats are so much more important than um, we think they are. You know, you don't see as many, I don't think, in the city, but if you get outside the city limits, uh, there are a lot of bats out there. There is. You know, they have actually done a lot of studies that um, bats say or have an estimate, estimated that they their service to be worth over three point seven million dollars per year and possibly as much as fifty three billion dollars per year. The service is how many insects they eat. Mm-hmm. So, like in um, the good pollinators, yeah. I mean, bats serve a purpose. Yeah. I mean, other than you know, I think we see more on Halloween, right? Right. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so that's that's how much money they're saving the industry trying to get rid of insects it's from the north american bat monitoring program so you said anywhere from four and a half billion to 53 billion dollars mm-hmm. a annually yeah is is what they're the, i mean we get the benefit of that monetary value because mm-hmm. of bats yeah so insects do play insects bats they all play a really good role in the balancing of environments and you know if you have bats in your yard it's not like they're coming screaming towards your face no these aren't vampire yeah i was gonna say they're not turning into vampires they're, you but know, no, there are vampire bats. Yeah, that but will, they're not turning no, into vampires. <laughs> let's hope not. Yeah. So, but y'all, they're bats that are three feet tall. Oh yeah. But we're not here. Yeah. So you know, we just got the cute little bat flying around, just eating, eating, eating mosquitoes like crazy. So that's amazing how much they've saved in the in- industry. Yeah, bats are a good thing. And then another thing, a, a byproduct of bat is bat guano. Okay. And you see that in a lot of organic fertilizers, mm-hmm. or you see it so as is by itself. <laughs> uh, and typically, when you when I think of bat guano veda, I think of bat guano as being a really good source of organic nitrogen. Okay, for example, high yield, mm-hmm. a brand name, high yield bat guano is a twelve or blood meal which mm-hmm. is uh, for example blood meal is like a 1200 mm-hmm. okay which is a pure nitrate product okay which is a great product now bat guano let's say dr earth bat guano it's a 731 mm-hmm. okay so it doesn't have quite as much nitrogen but it's got some phosphate and a little potassium in there so it's a great source for or- organic nitrogen mm-hmm. you know it's not going to burn anything at all uh, it's infused with seven strains of beneficial soil microbes. So it's got the mycorrhiza and all that mm-hmm. stuff added to it. Um, it's great for indoor plants also, and you can be applied once a month or, or bi-monthly. So bat guano is really a good organic product. Yeah. And then just the flip side of that, there's also a product called Fox Farm Happy Frog Cabin Culture. Cabin Culture, mm-hmm. coming out of the cave, right? Yeah. It's got bat guano in it, but the analysis of it is like a one twelve zero. So you're thinking, okay, hold on. You went from a lot of nitrogen to only 1% and 12% phosphate, okay? 
Well, the reason being the Fox Farm Happy Frog Cavern Culture, it's got guano in it, but it's also got the seabird guano, rock phosphate, uh, and the microbes, uh, just like mm-hmm. the bat guano does. So, you know, it's just because you see bat guano, don't assume that it's going to be a high nitrate product like the blood meal, okay? Because the Fox Farm, mm-hmm. like I said, it's a 112 yeah. uh, zero. So they're all great products. That's why I bring these products up. They're great products. They're completely non-burning. They're completely organic, Veda. They've got the uh, the mycorrhiza and the uh, the soil microbes added to it, infused in those products. And whether you're using them indoor or outdoor, I mean, it's, it's a win-win mm-hmm. situation. But there again, it's a great byproduct of bats. Right. Yeah, it sure is. And the uh, bat guano is in holly tone, plant tone. A lot of it's uh, in some liquid fertilizers Absolutely. too. And that's how the organic products work. Is like you're saying, the bat guano has got nitrogen in it. So in a um, organic mixture, that would be your nitrogen, uh, feather meal, you know, other things like that will create the nitrogen in. And a lot of people, when organics first came out, couldn't understand <laughs> how you could get nitrogen, potassium, and phosphate. And nobody was thinking about micronutrients mm. at the time, which was also a benefit. But they, and that's how, like, you use the soft rock phosphate for mm-hmm. the phosphorus, mm-hmm. uh, green mm. sand for the potassium. Mm-hmm. And you're all thinking, oh, that's too much. But it's all blended together oh, in our, yeah, in our tones. Like a holly tone has more sulfur, and a plant tone is or just. Or garden a, tone might have more calcium, yeah, you know, yeah. more lime. And, uh, then the uh, plant tone is just generic for everything. So there is really differences in the mixtures. Yeah, and, and the, you can't go wrong with any of them. But just, you know, and re- remember back, Veda, we used to use tons and tons and tons of blood meal for pansies. Yeah, okay, Pansies sure love blood meal. Mm-hmm. Well, they'll love, you know, bat guano also, yeah. okay? But the only drawback uh, with the blood meal potentially was was the odor, okay? Uh-huh. And it would bring in sometimes, you know, raccoons, and they're coming here mm-hmm. to check out the odor. <laughs> uh, so, you know, some people still use, quote, blood meal. Yeah. But a good substitute for blood meal on pansies would be like the Dr. Earth mm-hmm. bat guano. Yeah, right, You know, you're right. still getting your, your organic nitrogen in there. You still mm-hmm. got all the soil microbes that are added to it. Completely non-burning, but it doesn't have the smell that the blood meal potentially has, you know? And then, like, one thing they do in the organic mixtures of all the different products, because it smells organic in the bag, is actually mix some cocoa meal in there to try to subdue the kind of smell of it a right bit. right because like that's the thing they're in the building and so when you come in the back door and we've got all our products on the side there you get a nice little whiff of organic matter but if that cocoa meal wasn't in there it would probably just flatten you on the ground <laughs> i can't do this i mean even something like milorganite you know we tell mm-hmm. people all the time and i've told this story but if you've heard it before my mother had someone come out to her house and put milorganite on everything in the fall. I mean, the lawn, <laughs> the beds, around yeah. all the azaleas, everything. And there's no telling how much milorganite they used, okay? That same afternoon, she was having everybody over for for dinner. Yeah. So you pull up at my mother's house. Mm-hmm. Oh. You get out of the car, and you're like, what the? 
<laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you know, so be careful. I mean, so, and, and listen, the organic smell doesn't bother me. I know mm-hmm. if you go out there and water the organics in, you might have an odor for a day or two. So yeah, what, close, you know? Yeah. And even one time I was going to the Botanic Gardens for a um, a wedding reception, okay? And you could tell. You get out of the car, you walk towards the front of the Botanic Gardens, <sighs> that it had been heavily fed with plant tone. Yeah. Okay. You could smell that. Oh my God, could you? <laughs> you so, smell the mixture. So yeah, I mean, but but my point is, you know, the odors of an organic product aren't going to bother me because I know it, it's not going to last that long. Mm-hmm. Most organic products do have somewhat of an odor. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, is it, but I just want people to be aware, and I always tell people, you know, when when they're buying Milorganite or Plant Toner, these products. I said, now if you're having a function tonight, you know, you might just hold off and put mm-hmm. this down tomorrow, right? Because it does have a good organic smell, <laughs> and the same as the mosquito beater too. You have to put that down, you know, a couple hours before the party or even a day because you can smell that too. Now it doesn't smell as bad as the organic products, but it still has a smell. Well, to the Bonai mosquito beater though, there there. There were two versions at one mm-hmm. point. There was a chemical version that you sprinkled out and repelled mosquitoes, okay? And then the organic version called the same thing, mosquito beater. It had the lemongrass, the geranium oil, those kind of things in there, Veda, that also repelled mosquitoes. Now, most people, and probably including yourself, uh, use the organic mm-hmm. version of the bonite mosquito beater because a lot of people... Yes, we know that going out there spraying the beds and the shrubs and the lawn to kill mosquitoes will work fine. But some people don't like to spray at all. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, keep your ecosystem going and it'll reduce all the bad bugs. They'll put the dry stuff out. Right. Okay, y'all, we got another hour after this. So get your questions together. We will be right back. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning. <laughs> good morning. Good morning, y'all. We're on our third hour, so I can say good morning. Yes, you can. Yeah, which is... In English, good morning, y'all. Good morning to you, Miss Veda, and happy Labor Day weekend to you oh, and everyone, yes, everyone out there. So uh, I heard somebody say, why do we work on Labor Day weekend? Because in Labor Day, like... Think about the word. Labor means work. Yeah. Day is day, so it means work See, day. See, that's what I was thinking, too, but I'm glad that... Everybody doesn't have to work, and they can have a lot of fun. Yeah, but so, if you want to um, give us a call this morning, 260-5926, 260-5926, or go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text. And if you miss all of that, you can go to kwamradio.com and listen to us live if, mm-hmm. if you want to, or yeah. go back and listen to the podcast. Right. Can you get to the podcast from the um, website? Yeah, the kwamradio.com. Okay, because yeah. I just typed in, typed in. <laughs> What do you do? Do you type in on still or on oh, your God. on your phone? Is this typing in? Yeah, that's t- or it's not called texting in. Yeah, it's I'm typing. not texting in. I'm typing yeah. in. Um, the just Mid South Gardening podcast, and he came up with like an Apple one and a Google one too. So if you want to go that way, 
And um, <clears throat> but I have some advice from a tree. Yeah. Well, but before that, Veda, like you always like to say, you are with who? Palladio oh, Gardens? I am with, yes, Palladio Gardens in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, we've got a garden center, cafe, mm-hmm. architecture, mm-hmm. fountain statuaries, antiques, interiors. Absolutely. So we got a lot. Of, you, you Well, some people spend hours and hours because there's mm-hmm. so many buildings to walk through and look at. And you are right there on Central Avenue at yeah. Dan West Garden Centers. And the beauty of the garden centers this time of year, just like mm-hmm. you were talking about earlier, Veda, we're starting to get in some really pretty stuff. You know, whether it's annual color, mm-hmm. the you know the pansies and the violas, um, you know the perennials are coming in, the herbs are coming in, the mums are coming in, the ornamental cabbage and mm-hmm. kale. And you were talking about some blooming perennials oh, my while word, ago, y'all. i okay, so. I've got the most beautiful perennials to me ever, and I'm looking at all these going, y'all have got to come look. This is incredible, like the Kirkosmia. If you ever want to see a blood red bloom, I'm not talking Mm -hmm. about just a red bloom. I'm talking about a blood red bloom. Like a vibrant orange Mm -hmm. also. Mm -hmm. They're perennials. They bloom now. You know, we always want the fall blooming perennials. It's just amazing. Um, and like the cone flower. I have a mm-hmm. cone flower that looks like a mom. Mm-hmm. The the fluff, or not a mom, really. Yeah. A chrysanthemum, let's say. Because people are kind of used to the fluffy. What? Can you read my hand language? Yeah, yeah fluffy. But the cone flower, so many different varieties. And the Shasta daisies, there's a new mm-hmm. variety that's a little shorter. And the sunflowers and the rebeckias and the asters oh, yeah. and all that stuff. Just you know. On it. So that's all blooming stuff. But there's one we don't have yet, y'all. But I don't know if we'll get it this year. The red hot poker. Hummingbirds love the red hot poker. I did not know that, mm-hmm. but they love it. So that's something to plant. And no, it doesn't stop. If you have food out for your hummingbirds now, it doesn't stop them from migrating. No. They're just, no, you're the, giving them some food to make it. Kind of the old wise tale that, you know, they were afraid that if you left a hummingbird feeder up too long, you know, you're keeping mm-hmm. the hummingbird here. Yeah. And, they got enough sense to check out when they need right. to check out. Their you know? insects. And I also did not know we had some that uh, stayed here. Yeah. Yeah, stayed around. And uh, that's fun. But I'm still just, because we're on the third floor, I get a whole different view because the trees were planted. You mean where you live? Yeah, the where I floor? live. Yeah. yeah, the trees were planted. Uh, when we moved in, they might have been to the top of the first floor. Right. So now they have grown up a little below the third floor of the patio or a little bit higher. So I'm seeing all the hummingbirds doing the stuff in the top of the trees. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing to different watch that. It's like a whole, you said. Yeah, a whole different perspective. And I mean, they'll come sailing through the patio sometimes. Get the bird's eye view. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we've got some... Um, flowers that I actually let hang outside of the patio and so you'll see them yeah um like uh yes they'll see see them right there coming up to the patio and and taking their nutrients in that way their nutrients in but and then how about all this unique or not all this, but the the way we can capture things in the wildlife now. Mm. And I saw a real close-up of how they're uh, putting their bill into the little hummingbird feeders, and they're just drinking and drinking and drinking. And hummingbirds have tongues. Yeah, they do. And and like I said, remember what uh, Jamie said a while ago down in Holly Springs at the uh, Strawberry Plains, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Hollywood or the 
Hummingbird Festival. <laughs> they, that's going to be uh, on the 10th and the 11th, which is coming up. So keep that in mind. That's a lot of fun oh, if you want to go out there and take a take advantage of seeing a lot of hummingbirds. That will be fun. Oh, the advice from a tree. And Karen, I did send in a text, and we'll get to that in just a minute. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Sound tall and proud. Um, seek or sink your roots deeply into earth. I guess that gets means getting grounded. Oh, yeah. got it. Reflect the light of your own true nature. Think long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know the the story. If the tree that you plant today will benefit, it'd be the shade for someone. Yeah, later. but you know, it that sounds like somebody. It sounds like you're going um, thinking. I'm planning today, and it's going to help somebody 50 years from now. No, like I was talking about those those trees that were eight feet tall. We moved in, and okay, like five years, six years, they're double their size. And there's plenty of shade <laughs> where the grass is dying out from underneath. So even if you're planting a tree now, thinking about it for people way in the future, I mean, I've seen little trees where there's shadows on the ground, and the doggies lay in that little bit of shadow. So a tree's helping no matter what size it is. Well, but we always say this also, Veda, when you're planting trees, you want to be strategic, though. You don't want to just stick a tree, any tree, anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're planning it to cool your house, you know, you need to strategically put that tree where it's going to block yeah. that southern and western right. exposure. If you're okay? getting west sun, you don't plant it on <clears throat> the east side. No, and you don't want to plant a tree right up next to the foundation mm-hmm. of the house if it's going to get 40 foot tall, you yeah. know. Uh, and then sometimes, you know, you got to be a little careful planting trees next to your driveway or walkways because some tree roots are more aggressive than others. Oh, I have a great picture of that. You know, so, <clears throat> you know, I, I love all the benefits of trees, no doubt about it. But you do want to be a little careful on the tree that you do select. And also, like I said, a little careful on where you put the selected tree. I know that's a hard thing because my, is it cousin-in-law? My cousin-in-law sent me a picture. And there's a pretty good size, well, an oak tree. It's not the huge, huge oak trees. But one root grew under the driveway. Uh And it's, that driveway is buckled, intensely buckled. And the only thing they can do is have somebody come in because it's one whole solid piece of concrete mm-hmm. that it didn't break and lift that up and then cut that root mm-hmm. off. And so then they're worried about the tree dying. Well, you can cut one root off and you're fine that way. Uh, but it's just kind of scary. But what are you going to do? You can't have your driveway no, that way. No, that or you got to take the whole tree down, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and just plant something else that's not going to get as massive as, say, some of these oak trees. So that's that's my point. You got to be a little careful on the mm-hmm. trees that you know where you plant them. Some trees, they you know if you get them really close to, or let's say if you got a tree in a bed, mm-hmm. and that's the tree that's anchoring the bed. It's in the center of the bed, and you plant everything around it. Okay, and I'm talking about maybe just a smaller ornamental tree, a mm-hmm. birch or something. Yeah, I have actually seen beds that are, are so inundated with the fibrous roots, right? That it's like walking on jello when you walk through the bed. Wow, it's still got the wow. soil, but it's got so many, so many roots in there that you would actually have a hard time cutting a hole through that root just thatch, if you will, to mm-hmm. plant a bedding plant. Yeah, exactly. And, and there again, some some trees in this in mm-hmm. this case it was a birch, okay? But it, it I've just and it, the soil was perfectly healthy, beautiful mm-hmm. soil okay. around this thing, and that's why the root system was so aggressive in there. You know, right? Yeah, that and that's the 
hard part about the maples, the big, not the Japanese maples, but the other maples, is they have Our a birches. lot of roots. They, yeah, and birches, too. Because actually their roots are really high because they're suffering for water. They're wanting water so bad. And they're, they're more of like a... Uh, a tree that sits in a lot of moisture mm-hmm. or next to a lake where they can pick up the water. Uh, so in our yards, their their root system doesn't dig very far down. Well, so and, they're, they're on top of the surface. And that's going to be on any tree because our heavy, heavy clay soil. You see a big oak tree gets uh, not, you know, pushed over by high winds. Mm-hmm. The root system is right there in the 12 to 14 yeah. inches of the topsoil. You know, that's it's, it. I know. It's so bizarre how there's... And I'm thinking, well, it's just because it's an urban situation and the roots can't do what they need to do. But when a tree falls in the woods, it's the same way. Yeah. So it's really doesn't matter with the urban situation now uh when we come back we're gonna go to karen about the tomatoes but also wanted to give you some trees that you can plant when you don't have tons of space Mm -hmm. we'll be right back good morning welcome back to mid-south gardening karen is called in and she is asked how to prepare the soil for tomato plants next year. Great question. In fact, let's take this two different ways. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. We can, uh, how do you prepare the soil for cool weather crops this year? Mm-hmm. And then how do you prepare the soil for tomatoes and other things next year? Uh, one is, you know, if you've already got the plot there, okay, you've got something that you're building on, okay? You're not starting from scratch. Uh, But what I like to do every year to a vegetable garden is, A, make sure I typically add a little lime because I want to keep that pH up, especially where I'm planting tomatoes, okay? So just go out there, just a good application of lime in in that area. I always like to add some compost Mm -hmm. uh, and just kind of to refreshen my soil, reorganize my soil, okay? (laughs) Organicize. Yeah, but but (laughs) compost is the best way to do that. And whether oh, it's yes. a cow manure, a sheep manure, or uh, you know, cotton bur compost, earthworm castings, earthworm. any of those Backwater. are any of them are perfectly <laughs> fine. And then, I, of course, at planting time, I like to put a little fertilizer down. And whether that's the tomato tone, the garden tone, a uh, non-burning fertilizer, I'm fine with any of those. Mm-hmm. But uh, if if you had uh, the summer, spring, and summer vegetables, if they're still in the garden, a lot of people are going ahead and they're pulling that stuff up. Okay. And they're knocking the dirt off the roots mm-hmm. as best they can, and they're getting rid of all that stuff. And then, because you, you want to get as much, you want to get as rid as much of the debris as you can, mm-hmm. whether right. it's the the plant material that you're pulling up, or whether it's even just leaves that are falling down. Just make it fresh. Looking. Yes, Veda, uh, because they can harbor some diseases mm-hmm. and so forth. So get it as clean as you can. Add that compost to it, Karen. Add some lime to it. Definitely add a little fertilizer at planting time next year. And I'm telling you, you're good to go. Now, the only other thing is some people do put down a cover crop. Yeah, that's where I was going, right. Um, the cover crop is definitely a great thing because it puts the nutrients back into the soil, but also it covers the soil so you're not going to have weeds. And do you like to use the vetch, the annual mm-hmm. rye? Yeah, the annual rye is great. also have one that's... Uh, 
It's peas and oats because yep. peas put lots of nitrogen. So we have that cover crop. I don't have a lot of different Well, you ones. can buy that in a packet, though, right? Right, yeah. right. Got that in a packet. Oh, that's you shaking the seed <laughs> packet? <laughs> Y'all have got to. Well, I'll just imitate what he did. You're going to have to get over here uh, beside me so they can see this on camera. So, right? I mean, but you don't have to use a cover crop, but you most mm-hmm. definitely can. Yeah, I definitely would. Even... Not hay, but straw is a good one. Yeah, and so and if you do use a cover crop, Karen, uh, whether it's the vetch, the annual rye, the peas and oats like Veda's talking about, you can go ahead and sow that out there now. And then next spring, you get a uh, tiller and you till that in down into your soil. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. you're getting the organic nitrates and all the other stuff added mm-hmm. back to yeah, your soil. Yeah, you're not spraying. Round up on it and trying to get rid of it that way. No. It's part of your. It's part of gardening, yeah. really. But now, also, we said you know a lot of people are going out there and doing exactly what Karen's talking about. They're getting all the spring and summer stuff out. The mm-hmm. okra, the tomatoes, the eggplant, the peppers, all that stuff is coming out of the garden. Especially the people that want to do a fall cool weather mm-hmm. vegetable garden. Uh, and I still like to do the same thing. Whether you want to plant the seven top, the purple top, the greens, mm-hmm. any of that stuff. Uh, in fact, people are starting to do it now. Exactly, and they need to do it yeah. now. Now, the only thing that I might be a little hesitant about planting just yet would be the spinach, because for mm-hmm. some reason, you know how spinach can be hard to germinate. For some reason, mm-hmm. spinach seed. One mistake that a lot of people make, Veda, is they'll put spinach seed down the same time they're doing their seven-top, purple-top, Florida mustard, and all that stuff, but the soil temperature is still a little too warm mm-hmm. for spinach. It's got to be a little cooler. So you hold off on the spinach unless you're putting them in some, right. you know, little mini greenhouses and starting them in uh, indoors yeah. where you can moderate that temperature. Because these are frost tolerant, so we're not worrying mm. about uh, the winter coming along. And I know you have, uh, most garden centers have seeds. I'm just looking at some of the ones that we have that you can do now. You can actually do sage, parsley, cilantro. And then, like you were saying, you, well, got, you can do bok choy, yeah, kale. I mean, yeah, lettuce. in fact, we got some, some plants in yesterday, some vegetable plants for people some, that don't want to do seed. Right. The bok choy and, and some of the cabbage and the, you know, the collards and those kind of things. But as far as seeds go, though, Veda, you know, mm-hmm. the seven top, a lot of people get this mixed up. Seven top is more just old-fashioned turnip greens, okay? Purple top <laughs> is for more turnip. I mean, you still get the greens, yeah. but you if you want the turnip, you want to do the purple top. If right. you want the tops, the greens, you do the, the seven top. But the different types of mustards, the kales, the, the collards, the rapes, those kind of things uh, you can plant now mm-hmm. from seed. But like I was going to say, I like to do the same thing in the garden as far as adding a little bit of lime, adding some compost, and adding some fertilizer. I'm doing it all over again for my vegetable, my fall garden. Right, because we've got to put nutrients back in because our plants in the summer and spring have taken all the nutrients. Now, I know we're always supplying them, but we just need to add more. And something else that's fun that you can get in seed packets is, so you get the wheatgrass for us Mm -hmm. to mix into our smoothies and all that. You don't taste the wheatgrass at all when it's mixed in a smoothie. Now, do you grow your own wheatgrass? Well, I'm going to uh, this. I'm going to start doing that now. And then I've got the cat grass mix for my cat. Right. So, see, me and my cat are gonna. I'm gonna grow the mixture. I'm gonna eat the uh, the, the wheatgrass, and the, the cat's, cat's gonna, gonna eat the cat, eat grass. The cat grass. She's gonna want the smoothie though. Yeah, of course. She's gonna she go is. right up to me and see what's in my cup. <clears throat> you know, because a lot of people. You know, I mean, I guess people smoothies are still a big thing, aren't they? Oh yeah, yeah, big thing. I mean, I it is incredible what you can put in a smoothie. Then it's still delicious. You can put the kale, you can put the spinach, but I'm still using 
um, the protein powder and the <sighs> fruit, because that's what, and some yogurt. Oh, even peanut butter. Uh, oh, one time I put some uh, Nutella in my smoothie. So did that make it not healthy anymore? Uh, probably. <laughs> so you're, you're, you're killing the whole point of but this. Put the Nutella in there. Not all the time, though, but it's from the hazelnut, and that's yeah. healthy. Oh, it yeah. should be good, fine. Yeah. But also keep in mind, guys, when you're doing your, your fall vegetable, to make your smoothie like Veda's talking mm-hmm. about, uh, and whether, again, whether it's the greens you're putting out there, the mustards, the spinach, and on down the road, when they first start coming up, they are pretty prone to certain types of insects. Yeah. Uh, because we're still in the fall season. especially it's still if it's, the warm fall exactly. season, the faux fall. Exactly. So a lot of people, they will invest in a bottle of Thuricide, okay? Mm-hmm. Thuricide, which is BT, is a great product that you can use on your edibles to kill caterpillars. And it's usually the caterpillars. Not always, but a lot of times the caterpillars that love those leafy vegetables as much as we do. And and you can spray BT quite often, and you can use it up to the day of harvest. So my point is you can do everything just right, you know, getting your Mm -hmm. soil prepared, getting that fertilizer down the line and everything, get everything planted, it comes up, keep your eyes peeled for those insects, I'm telling you. Well, you know, and we've got them in the seed packets, so you're able to, to do you don't have to buy a whole bunch of seed but Mm-mm. seed packets hold a good amount and you need to plant uh you know in your row uh, or even in the holes like a couple of seeds to make sure you get germination all the way down but the thing is is you have to pull some of the when they all say if all three of them germinated in that hole which they are yeah you're gonna have to pull two out to let that one do it and that's hard and, and some people like you said just mentioned Veda, they'll plant in rows or some people go out there and kind of shake these out like they would salt or pepper okay mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. the biggest thing is like you said especially when you're doing something like purple top because you want turnips you don't want them in there too thick you really don't want them in there too thick if you're doing just the greens like you're mm-hmm. talking about. And yes, just like you mentioned, the hardest thing you can ever do is go out there and start plucking up some healthy yeah. plants to give the other plants more room to grow, right, right? Right, Oh, I remember doing that growing up, and I was thinking, why? Because I was younger. This is weird. I thought we were trying to make them grow. Yeah, but now is the time to go ahead and get these, uh, these cool weather crops in the ground, whether you're putting the plants in the mm-hmm. ground uh, that you can find at the garden centers. Like I said, we got some in yesterday. Or whether you're putting the seed in the ground. Yeah. Uh, now is the time to do it. But like I also said, Veda, the only thing that I'd be a little wary as far as putting the seed in the ground just yet is the spinach. Mm-hmm. And people out there that know that if they planted spinach before, they understand what I'm talking about. It can be a booger to get to germinate, mm-hmm. especially when the soil temperatures are too warm. It's it not can, going to do it. It can be a what? Uh, it's pretty hard to do. A booger. Pretty hard to do. <laughs> that's the that's the southern term. So I remember my dad, before he, he was working on vehicles or whatever, and um, I'm watching him just work hard trying to get a bolt off or something like that, mm-hmm. and he'll get it done, and he'll go, oh, daughter, that was a booger bear to get off of there. <laughs> And it was just a, a phrase that was used. And now I'm wondering when you said that, what, why do we say that? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to figure that one out. Because we live in the South, I guess. I guess so. <laughs> Man, no wonder people laugh about what we say. And um, after this break, which we're not going to immediately, though, we're still going to talk about the ornamental trees that mm-hmm. we can use in our landscape. Which is a They're big thing because they yeah. every time we plant a tree, we don't necessarily want a massive mm-hmm. tree. No. And we're wanting some that 
is different than the big oak trees and all. Mm. So uh, that's going to be something because this is tree planting time. We have trees, you know, in the spring and all. But I get like my most selection in now because this is just a great time to plant. It is out of all the seasons, fall is the Mm -hmm. absolute best season to plant trees and shrubs. Now, you might not find quite the selection in the fall as you do in the spring. But if you find what you're looking for. This is the best season to plant. Man, I feel like I have one of everything in the garden center. We were full, and the guys brought up three more pallets. I'm like, oh, no. So y'all come get some so but I have room. that could be a good thing. That's it's right. It's a great thing. We'll be right back. Good morning, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. So we were on the ornamental trees, the ones that aren't humongous. Yep. Um, so the fringe trees, fantastic. If you, you know? they, I mean, that to me, write that one down. Because if mm-hmm. you never have had a fringe tree or have seen a fringe tree in full bloom, mm-hmm. you haven't yeah. lived, I'm telling you. Right. And then one thing I wanted to clarify about small ornamental trees is... We're not saying they're only eight feet tall because trees are 20, 30, 40 feet tall. So small is can be 12 feet tall. Absolutely. You know, 15, small is 18. 15. Yeah. So they're still smaller, but they're not taking up your entire yard. But I do love the fringe tree. It is a, uh, you know, and I, I know exactly where there's a mature one right now. And I've seen mm-hmm. it in full bloom every year when I go to see my mom uh, here in town. But baby, this particular one is, I don't know, it's what? 15 foot yeah. tall, yeah, maybe 12 foot mm-hmm. wide, and it is the white blooms. Yeah, are beautiful. And it definitely provides a lot of shade. And even now, ginkgo tree gets tall, but it still works in your yard that's not huge. It, you know? It, you know, it, there again, it, to me, a ginkgo is such an unusual looking tree. It's such a beautiful yeah. treat when I when I and say it's unusual. The oldest. It's oh yes, yeah, one of the oldest living trees out mm-hmm. there. They found you know ginkgo leaves, yeah. you know, in fossils. Okay, but you know we always talk about fall color. Okay, mm-hmm. well I don't care what tree you ever get. I don't care if it's a black gum and everything else yeah. in between. You're not gonna ever find a tree that has the the fall color that a ginkgo has ever. I mean, there just isn't one in existence. There just isn't. True. Good point. Good point. The weeping red bud, the weeping Mm -hmm. forest pansy red bud, that's not going to get huge, huge, but it's nice ornamental. We had a couple from Arkansas, and they saw the weeping red buds, and they thought about it, and they wanted it, and on and on down the line. But the problem was it was too hot to wrap it, really. Mm-hmm. And then sh- they couldn't drive to Arkansas with it just in the back of the truck. Flapping in the back of the yeah, truck. Yeah, so, nope. so, so they weren't able to, to get it. But I was just so sad because they loved it so much. And it doesn't even have to be a weeping red right, bud. I mean, red true. buds yeah. uh, just in general are still considered more of a ornamental type mm-hmm. tree. They're not going to get a, a massive size. Right. Yeah, that's true. How about, and then the little Jim Magnolia. Little Jim about. or the teddy bear. Yeah. And believe me, you can grow those in small spaces. You sure can. And then there's the weeping pussy willow. It's so What's delicate looking. That's it, it is. Delicate yeah. looking and, and so pretty. Of course, 
We cannot forget Japanese maple. Absolutely. Yeah. Now there's like the blood good that gets tall, but not humongous. No, it's still an ornamental. Yeah, and then and and that can take more. That can take a lot of sun, actually. It can, and, and you know, so any like you said, Veda, there are so many different spots. Whether it's in beds, whether it's next, you know, the corner of a house, mm-hmm. whether it's anchoring a place on the back wall. I mean, there's so many places that we do want to plant trees, but not necessarily a massive tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and these trees that you just mentioned are perfect, and I'm sure there's plenty more. I mean, even deciduous magnolias. True, you know, yeah, magnolias those, that yeah. you know that that lose their leaves in the winter. Uh, beautiful blooms in the spring, and you know they're more, uh, you know, not so much single trunked. You can yeah. get them single trunked. They're usually multi trunked. Crepe myrtles, mm-hmm. for example. Yeah, crepe myrtles, um, and actually the winterberry. Mm-hmm. It looks like a shrub as it starts when when you're getting it smaller, but the winterberry. And we're talking about the into, deciduous, yeah, holly that has tons of berries on it yes. in the fall. Yes, exactly. And you really need. There's usually enough pollination, they say, to have the winterberry pollinated. But I, I've got both varieties, the male and the female. Yeah, so you really should plant two, and they're not huge. They're not intrusive, and, and they're just beautiful. No, I mean there's so many different varieties out there sparkleberry mm-hmm. winterberry but then yeah. you start getting to the possum halls that get really big mm-hmm. but you mentioned the pollination you're right if you've got a deciduous magnolia which is a magnolia that drops its i mean deciduous holly mm-hmm. that drops its leaves in the winter but that's the beauty of it what's left are those millions of red berries oh, okay that's true, yeah. but if it's not burying like it should a lot of times it just needs a mm-hmm. pollinator Usually, like you said, Veda, if you plant a deciduous holly, there are other hollies out there that will pollinate this thing. Yeah. But if you want to guarantee that, you plant one of the male out there, uh, pollinators out there, and you're going to get the berries. Yes. And we have a dogwood. Like Jim said, he grows the uh, yellow twig, little twigs, the red twig, yellow twig dogwoods, mm-hmm. which look like bushes. So I've got those, but he grows them for the twigs because the leaves are, you know, it doesn't like totally flourish and yeah. look great. It doesn't look like a regular dogwood, but so I've got those dogwoods. When the leaves come off, you've got your yellow twigs, which is great accent in the garden, yeah. but you can cut some mm-hmm. and then put them in arrangements. You or can the do, red twig, like yeah, you said. Yeah, the red twig. Uh, then you've got, then you grow the winter berries for your hollies. And so you can put those, I'm thinking your Christmas or your fall decorations. And, and then you can, you've got your beauty berries, which is oh, the calicarpa, yeah. which, you know, it just like we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, you'll never notice the thing in your landscape until they start producing those beautiful lavender berries up and down the stem. Wonderful fall accent color. And there's the glam bar beauty berry that's a new one. Mm -hmm. Foliage looks totally different, but the foliage is beautiful. Uh, Oh, and then if you plant the magnolias, that gives you your green for your uh, the foliage yeah, that you can use for, for the wreaths and yeah, everything else, yeah, yeah. And, and center pieces on tables and all. So you can get a a lot of things you can harvest for your own decorations in the fall and the winter. I mean, so you're right. I mean, you know, usually Veda, we're always thinking about spring and, mm-hmm. and maybe summer interest. Yeah, yeah, you know, I never really think about fall and winter mm-hmm. interest. Yeah, uh, and that's why you know, in a landscape, typically speaking, you're not going to see all evergreens. Mm-hmm. You're not going to see all deciduous plants. Right. You're not yeah. going to see all tall trees. I mean, so that's why you know, landscapes are usually pretty diverse. 
we do need some evergreens mm-hmm. out there for winter interest. Yeah. You know, we don't have to have every plant out there yes, as an evergreen because exactly. a lot of your evergreens, you know, a lot of your deciduous shrubs bloom mm-hmm. more, yeah. more so than a lot of the evergreens and do. And see, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of your shrubs that bloom lose their leaves. Exactly. Now, camellias, oh my gosh, great camellia plant in time. We're going to have some camellias blooming soon. But those are something evergreen that bloom. And so azaleas are evergreens that bloom. There's some viburnums that are evergreen that Mm -hmm. bloom. But overall, you know, there's not as many blooming evergreen shrubs by far, Veda, like you said, as the ones that drop their leaves. So, you know, we need a good I shouldn't say a balance, but we need a good variety uh, of those different types of plants typically in our landscape. Yeah, because we're wanting to set up a balance. And the way to have a balance in your garden, your landscape is having different evergreens and deciduous and perennials, annuals, just the whole thing that attracts all kinds of beneficials. Uh, the more beneficials you have, the more birds, the more bats, you know. But, but I'm telling you, fall color, though, I mean, I, I remember my mother even talking about when I was young that her and her sisters would take these trips. Mm-hmm. And whether it was up in these Smoky Mountains or wh- wherever they went, yeah. they were doing it just to see, to look at fall color. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, so it is a big a, deal to a lot of people yeah. how these plants are going to look later in the fall. And we know that some falls, we see it more than others. But whether it's, you know, dogwoods, a lot of them have beautiful fall color. Mm-hmm. Crepe myrtles, a lot of they them have do. beautiful true, fall true. color. Veda. I mean, so most, and these are the deciduous mm-hmm. plants we're talking yeah. about. These are the ones that they turn those beautiful colors, then they right. drop their leaves. Now, in the winter, they have no leaves, Right. Yeah. But I tell people all the time, so Why what? does that matter? Yeah. yeah. Now, maybe it would matter if you were using it as your total front landscape. Right. And then they were all deciduous. You'd kind of be, oh, I don't know if I like that. But you can still have um, those in your landscape in the front, but you still do some evergreens around because you want to see some green, too, and the birds need protection, and the evergreens are going to do that. And that's well. what we always say when we say get your bones in. I mean, to me, you getting the bones in is usually... You know, getting the evergreens in mm-hmm. there, you know, getting that all set. And then you can play with your landscape, you know, yeah. whether it's the annual color, perennials, or the deciduous trees and shrubs yeah. we're talking about. Right. And your perennial garden. Your perennials don't um, bloom from spring to fall. Um, like annuals do. Yeah, like annuals. We're getting perennials, well, like one perennial. Like coneflower starts uh, summer, beginning of summer, and goes all the way to the fall. But then we have like the flocks, the low flocks that bloom, blooms in the spring, and then it's done. Yeah. So you're wanting to buy different perennials so you can always have something blooming. Well, when we get back, I know we got to go to a break, but I'm going to tell you about a weed barrier mm, Yeah. that yeah. It's, it's temporarily... Yeah, which is good because we don't really recommend Weed Barrier, but this is a new innovation. Uh. All right, we'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We've had three hours of this show, and it's so fantastic. I love it. I love all the callers and the questions we get posted. And... um, I know it's Labor Day weekend, so everybody's chilling out, feeling a Labor well, they Day. They should, Veda. No yeah, doubt about yeah. it. But um, I'm wondering about this weed barrier because I'm like a no weed barrier person. Well, it, it got me thinking. You know, typically when we buy a weed barrier, a weed cloth, you know, usually it's a three foot by fifty foot roll, even though they come in different sizes. 
but we're usually using that in, you know, like a pea gravel pathway or sometimes even our beds to suppress weed growth. That's why we use it. Uh, but, you know, I really, I'm like you, Veda, I don't like to use, well, first of all, a lot of places we used to use black plastic, mm-hmm. which is, to me, the absolute worst thing you can do for your soil, okay, is yeah. put plastic down, put mulch on top of it, and expect something to really thrive in that yeah. black plastic, okay? Right. Not a good idea. Yeah. So then they came out with the fabric, which is so much better because it does let moisture and fertilizer mm-hmm. nutrients pass through it. But at the same time, it still acts as a weed barrier. So I love it so much more than black plastic. But I'm like you. I like to use the weed barriers if I have, like, you know, pathways and walkways and, you know, pea gravel or wash gravel, whatever, to keep the weeds out of those areas. Now, some people do use fabric in beds also. Mm-hmm. But then there's a new one called, uh, it, there's a DeWitt, same people that make a lot of the other uh, weed barriers. Uh, it's called DeWitt Garden Weed Barrier, but it's natural and organic. And I'm thinking, hold on a minute. How does that happen? Well, well first of all, why would I ever want to use a weed barrier that's going to last me for basically one year? Because it's organic, so it's going to break down. Yeah, it's, it's, okay. it's, it's actually a paper pulp-like material. Okay. Okay, so, but it is 100% biodegradable. It is, a like I said, a paper material. Um, but the beauty of it is I was thinking, okay, well, if you've got, it, let's say, a vegetable garden, and you, like the like Karen was saying, you know, she's preparing her soil and everything now for next year, and you're not going to put a cover crop down, okay? You put this biodegradable weed barrier down, and then next spring all you do is till it in. You don't take it away. You don't, you know, rip it mm-hmm. up. You just work it back into the soil. Yeah. I wonder if it breaks down faster, you know, if you've got an area that has a lot of microorganisms versus an area that's kind of stale soil. Oh, sure it does. Yeah. But 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 the weed barriers themselves, you know, like I said, this one in mm-hmm. particular is 100% biodegradable. It's made out of a paper-like material. Uh, you don't have to pull it up. You just till it into the soil right. the next year or well, at the I, end of the year. Bre- it would take a year to break down. It though, would. Like I'm saying, not like six months. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, you know, what weed barriers do, of course, the main reason people use them is to suppress the weeds. But it also helps to moderate the soil temperatures mm-hmm. um, out there. And it, of course, conserves moisture. But it's perfect for the vegetable garden or these beds where you have annuals, yeah. Beta, where you... You know, it's it's gone after a year. Yeah. It's breaking down into the soil. But I was like, hang on. Usually when I'm selling a weed barrier, they want the one that will last absolutely the longest, you right, know? Right, because it's going under pathways and all. So I'm, get, so I'm thinking you put down your weed barrier, and then you cut X's in it everywhere you want to put a flower. That, or if you've got a vegetable garden, I've seen a lot of people put weed barrier down the rows, you know, yeah. with the walkways. Which is In between great. the yeah. rows. Yeah, I like that. I like you know? that a lot. And then it'll just break down. And um, it probably doesn't compact the soil like some of the other barriers do. No. So, so wow, that's interesting. We're going to have to play with that. So if you ever see a roll of biodegradable weed fabric you're like what but there (laughs) are some places to actually use that product that makes a whole bunch of sense well it's like they're making permeable driveways and all so the uh, water can permeate because on concrete it just rolls out rolls off but when i first heard of that i'm like you what but the innovation and all is coming along really good and it's being more environmental friendly or you know maybe not environmental friendly 
friendly but responsible. Oh, sure. I mean, this stuff is great. But like I said, I mean, we've evolved so much. I mean, we went from black plastic Mm -hmm. to where we are now. And it's just so much better for, for us to try to grow things. And another thing, Veda, you know, we just went through an extremely hot, dry growing season. I mean, we all know it was just so hot and dry. And I was thinking about there are products out there that can make our life so much easier than going out there, hooking the hose up to the hydrant and hooking the sprinkler up to the hose and cutting the thing on and then forgetting to cut it off, you know, or, or going out there cutting it off when you should. There are water timers that are just mm-hmm. manual water timers. That's what we use. All I mean yeah. is you just you just screw that thing to your hydrant, mm-hmm. turn the knob, you turn it on manually, but it automatically cuts off right. for you. And then instead of having just a regular hose, especially if you're near a bed, you can have soaker hoses. Mm-hmm. And the new soaker hoses, Vader, are not just these hard plastic rubber hoses they're the new soft canvas hoses yeah so yeah just, so that's an improvement beta, it's it, you so you just run that soaker hose down the bed mm-hmm. turn the timer on before you leave in the morning no one is going to cut off and you can set them for 15 minutes an hour two hours yeah. whatever but i'm thinking these products are out there to make our job or right. our life so much easier. Well, you don't have overhead water and um, all your thing. water's captured. Because we have the timers at work and we've got the timers where you can set like a morning uh, where it comes on in the morning and you can set it like right when we leave because, you know, it's been so hot and you need to water. But it comes on automatically, shuts off automatically and... That has been now so wonderful. Yeah, you're right. And those are usually battery operated. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. those are, you know, even better, I should say, than just the manual water timer. But I'm saying you can do it as simple yeah, as just right. no batteries, no nothing. You just mm-hmm. screw it on there, turn the knob, and off you right. go. Oh, well, here's things to think about, too, because we're using, of course, water hoses. <clears throat> but I had to do this long list for the people who hook up the irrigation. Like, first, make sure your irrigation heads are pointing the right way you when think? you set. Th- I know because yep. I've had people where they're going to be squirting out the street, not in the plants at all. Oh, how about check a kink in the hose? Hmm. One night, nothing went off on this one side because there was a kink in the hose. Wow. You know, you're like, think about the kinks in the hose. Who would? So, so a lot of people don't. Right, I wouldn't. Right. Or how about where you set it? There's a shrub there. and It's got a long twig and the twig gets caught in the head. So it doesn't rotate. So you water one section forever and ever, and then the rest is dry. So there's all those little things that you want to check for, too. Yeah, but I still like the idea, like you said, especially for people that don't have any kind of irrigation, and you've got some landscape out there or or a garden plot or whatever it is. You know, of just, and you mentioned using the soaker hoses because, baby, you're not getting water. You're getting water where it needs to be. Yeah, and quickly, and it's not evaporating. On the root system. Mm-hmm. You don't need water all over the foliage of these plants day in and day out. You're, you're actually creating a fungal environment when you mm-hmm. do that. And the other thing to think about, too, is it's um, like in the garden centers, we have to try to make sure our plants are spaced enough to where, because like the foliage is big, mm-hmm. and so the water hits the foliage, runs off on the ground, mm-hmm. which would normally be good, but since you're in a bucket, it's missing the bucket totally. So there's things like that, like your containers or, or things like that to, to watch for, because that's what happens in your landscape with irrigation, like the ones that um, are installed, is that can still happen. You can have 10 shrubs 
I mean, I can have that on the shelf. I've got a shelf of 15 shrubs lined up, and three out of the 15 are dry mm. as can be, yeah. and the others are soaking wet. Yeah. Why? So yeah. you've got to check a lot. That is funny, but I do like the idea. I mean, everything, there's so many new innovations out there that make gardening so much easier. And like I said, you know, I mentioned the canvas or the cloth um, soaker hose. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's just, it, it, it's more uniform in the way that it just lets that water out, Veda. Because, you know, we've all been through that hard rubber hose that we used as a soaker hose. First of all, varmints love to gnaw through it for some reason. (laughs) You know, it's hard to bend. And a lot of times if you bend it too much, then you kink it Mm -hmm. like you're talking about. So you get nothing on the end of the hose after the kink. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, these, these products are much easier and I was just thinking about that because, you know, some years, and this is not going to be the last year that we go through a hot, dry, crazy summer like we just went through. Yeah, it will not be. You know, and it's good to get prepared before because when you start thinking you need to water, it's really hot outside. So it's good to go ahead and get your stuff ready in early spring. Go ahead and lay it out or late spring so you don't have to do it when it's really hot and then you're frustrated and don't care. <laughs> <laughs> it's too hot for me to care right now. Well, and then next week, um, you know, I know it's a little early. We don't want to push the envelope too soon. Mm-hmm. We will talk about, you know, pansies and volas and, and a lot of the summer planning going on, Veda. Uh, even get into some fescue planting, you know, people are starting to think about that also. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a lot of things to do in the fall to keep us busy for sure. Yes, always something in the garden, and that's what's so wonderful about it. But go in your garden and look at the beauty. Don't look at what's wrong with it, <laughs> right? Okay, Kenneth and I will see you next weekend in the Mid-South Garden. <laughs>